Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review recently completed Star Trek seasons. My name is Matt, and joining me as usual is my good friend Andrew, and as we've sort of established as customary on our season reviews, you get to choose who you want to be. So uh, what do you say, Andrew? Who are you going to take from season three of Star Trek Discovery? I think that I will be the cat because uh, it means that I only really need to be in maybe the first couple episodes, pop back in every once in a while, and, uh, you know, most of the time I'll just be lounging on the back of the sofa. How about you? Who are you going to be season three? Okay, so Grudge the Cat is uh, who Andrew has chosen. Uh, I'm going to take Captain Saru, and uh, there's actually a reason for it, uh, other than just that I think he's the best character in this season, Uh, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Okay. Now, if you've not yet watched or finished watching season three of Star Trek Discovery, I highly suggest that you pause the podcast, finish the season, and then turn us back on and you can hear what Andrew and I have to say. Uh, so this is your official spoiler warning. This, uh, this podcast is going to be full and littered with uh, season three Star Trek Discovery spoilers. So you've been officially warned. Please hold the hate mail. All right, the first uh, thing we're going to talk about here is uh, revisiting uh, our blog. Uh, Andrew wrote a blog back in October, shortly after the season started. Now, I didn't get around to writing one, but if I did, it would have been two words, and those two words were better writing. That's all I was hoping for in season three. I didn't figure there was much point in writing a two-word blog about what I hope to see. Now, Andrew, you had a few points that, uh, that you mentioned in your blog and uh so maybe we can just quickly go through theirs and those these points and we can just talk about whether we thought that it was it was done well or if they they sort of fell on their face here so the first thing that you mentioned was better use of the cast and less reliance on michael burnham now would you say that that was something that they were successful with or were you unhappy with uh the use of the cast i mean i think that I kind of got what I asked for, but almost like in a monkey paw kind of way. So I feel like we did get better use of some of the minor characters. We get Saru, they bring in a new character with Book, and we get, uh, you know, a little bit less uh, Georgiou, and and she kind of is relegated to a certain area. Some of the new characters, I think, were were well kind of introduced and put together and stuff. Um, But with them using the cast like a little bit better I kind of feel like it meant that Michael Burnham had to 
um, always kind of like swoop in for the save. Uh, and so even though they were kind of giving me what I wanted, they didn't really do it 100%. Like I kind of wanted just more balance where Michael would kind of be the most important character, but um, would maybe not necessarily be the only one that could come up with ideas and things. And I don't know that I got that. So yes, they definitely used the cast. Did they use them better? I would say probably not. Uh, the cast and the characters are one of my big gripes in season three. So we'll have to kind of dive into that as we go. Yeah, I, I, this is something else that I probably would have liked as well. You know, not having Michael Burnham be the one that saves the day every single time. And I do agree that we got, they did use the the, char- the other characters a little bit better. But at the end of the episode, it was always like, Okay, guys, thanks for what you did. Now it's time for Michael Burnham to right. like jump in and save the, you know, and and put the finishing touch on everything. And it would be nice to see, like, like I don't want to get too specific here, but there's the episode on Trill, where it would have been nice to see like Adira be able to like sort all that stuff out with the right. symbiont on yes. her own. But of course, Michael Burnham dives in the pool and has to be the one to sort it all out so and that's one example and that's yeah it, they did kind of fall back into that pattern even though they did introduce us to some interesting new characters and did let us see them a little bit yeah that's a great example man that's kind of exactly what i was trying to say is that that's a perfect kind of analogy for for what my kind of problem with that particular hope that i had was yeah and unfortunately we there's other examples which i'm sure we'll get into as well now, the second point that you sort of raised was uh, that you didn't want the season to be reliant on that sort of whole mystery box thing. I think you used the term, inst- you know, I don't want this to be another installment of mystery box theater. Mm-hmm. And then you also mentioned that you wanted to see some exploration of the 32nd century, uh, which I think those are also, I certainly would have liked to see them explore the universe in the 32nd century. So what what did you feel about those? I guess those are two kind of different things, but they're sort of related yeah, it's another thing where, I mean, I would say that I was, I did not get what I asked for, right? Like, this is the equivalent of, uh, you know, getting Lee Trevino's uh, golf for Christmas when you asked for Bloodstorm. Uh, and this, <laughs> um, th- like, with the first season of Discovery, it was all the big mystery of the Mirror Universe, right? Um, and, you know, what's Lorca's situation? And pretty much everybody knew right from the very beginning all the secrets that were going to be kind of undis- uncovered as the season went on. Uh, and then with the second season, remember, it was the whole mystery of the Red Angel. And everybody had said, oh, it's going to be Michael Burnham. Everybody knows it's going to be Michael Burnham. And then it was Michael Burnham. Um, with this one, it immediately starts with this burn thing, which is essentially the big mystery that we're going to kind of uncover as we go through. And I guess we go, what, the whole season? Basically, the second last episode is when we kind of get our answer to it. Um, So for that reason, I think that it definitely was another season of Solve the Mystery. Um, I think it was also kind of, well, we'll talk about whether we thought that it was satisfying or not. Um, And the exploration of the 32nd century was, eh? I mean, we did get some cool things and some stuff that I thought that was really good and really well done. But I don't know that I really got enough. I think that I would have much preferred um, just kind of going around and seeing the old hot spots, right? Um, and every time that they did it, I don't know that it was satisfying, you know? Like, for example, when they go to Earth, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, it's, it's 
it's kind of the same. Like, it's changed a little bit, but it's mostly the same. Uh, and I kind of feel like that was what happened in most of the in most of the reveals. So I'd have to say that that wasn't satisfying for me either. Yeah, they, they definitely do rely on this whole mystery thing. And we definitely get it again here in Season 3 with the burn. And, um, I mean, I thought it was kind of an interesting thing for them to be exploring. Because there, there was obviously this one very drastic event which radically altered the the landscape of the universe or the galaxy, I guess. So, um, I mean, it, it can be tricky because if you build up this mystery, you you really have to have a good payoff for it. And as for the exploration, I, I, I'm sort of in the same boat. Like, I feel like they did go to a couple of places that we do know, but they didn't really, they didn't really, you know, we didn't really learn all that much. No. You know, they go to Navarre, and, but we, you know, they didn't really do much while they were there. Um, like, all the action was on the ship, and there was, you know, a handful of Vulcans and Romulans, and I feel like, they, you know, we don't really learn all that much about what's going on on these worlds that we're already kind of familiar with. So, I mean, I guess they still have time to do that in future seasons, but uh, it would have been nice to see a little bit more uh, here in Season 3. Uh, and your final point uh, was the continued use of really good and really nice visual and special effects. So uh, are, what, do you, what did you think of the visual and special effects in this season, just sort of generally? I think that this was kind of the year where it wasn't enough for me. I think that they did a really good job. Like, I think they went to Iceland to film the first couple of episodes. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I, I think that they, they kind of updated some of the sets and they had kind of changed some things for the, the time period in which we're now in. Um, but I don't know that it was enough. I, I think that there's just far too many pleasing to the eye kind of stuff that I can find on the internet that if there's not really something to go along with it, I don't know that I care. You know, like a bad story with really good CGI is never going to be as good as a good story with bad CGI. And I think that, uh, yeah, there wasn't enough here for me, sadly. I, I mean, we'll talk about it in the episodes, but I, 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 I'm like you. I I'm almost wish that we had seen some planets that are more familiar and used kind of those uh, uh, like on location shoots for Vulcan and for... Uh, maybe Cardassia or, or wherever. Uh, and I think that uh, it was a little bit of a, of a missed opportunity. They could have gone to Ferenginar and been like poured yes. on with rain. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. Get the super rain machine and like, let's have at her. Yeah, that's not expensive, right? I mean, compared to going to Iceland. Yeah, exactly. Iceland is very, <laughs> The Corona in Iceland is very, very expensive. So that definitely wasn't cheap going there. No, I don't imagine it was. I actually, I mean, if we're looking strictly at the special effects, I mean, this is one place where I think Discovery does excel is with the visual effects and the set designs and, and so on. And I think they, I mean, even though the first scene of the season, or, well, I guess not the first scene of the season, but there's that part where Book's ship is like flying through that debris field and it looked like very Star Wars Episode Two ish to me. Yes. But other than that, the one thing that they avoided was those really busy space scenes where there's like two giant ships and then there's like a bunch of like little shuttles or drones and there's like a million different things and all these laser bolts flying around i think they avoided doing that because the, the last sort of big battle in the final episode i found that it was a little bit more toned down than what they've done in the past and that i did like because i find those scenes to be 
very dizzying and disorienting and, and it's really hard to stay focused on what's actually happening because there's like a million things going on at once and um, that was the one thing that kind of bugged me about the special effects in, in Discovery previously and I think they and Picard strayed, and, and Picard that's right and they kind of strayed away from that this season which I did like so okay good um, point overall yep. I think the visuals and, and stuff and like you mentioned that they kind of updated the ship and the sets which I thought was a bit more in line with what you might expect from the 32nd century versus the 23rd century. So that was good. You know, I, I thought overall the visuals were, were pretty good in this season. All right, Matt, one of my favorite things to do at the end of kind of every season is to just kind of go through very quickly each of the episodes and decide whether we thought that was a warp drive uh, episode or whether we thought it was impulse speed. Now, I think that the last season that we reviewed, which was Lower Decks, I believe that we were pretty much warp speed the whole way through, um, I think. Uh, which means that uh, we've got a lot to kind of like live up to here with Star Trek Discovery. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll have to see if we, uh, we get a similar kind of feel for Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery. So um, let's not uh, waste any time. Let's jump right in. The first one is That Hope Is You, Part 1. Uh, of course, this is the one where Burnham in the Red Angel suit um, lands uh, in, a, in a new galaxy 930 years into the future. She's looking for discovery. And, of course, we're introduced to book and this whole idea of the, um, I guess, what is it, like that marketplace where they're trading and uh, kind of you know moving about. Uh, what were your thoughts on this uh, introductory map because one of the interesting things about this is the Discovery crew is not actually in it. This is just a Michael Burnham standalone. Uh, what were your thoughts on that first uh, season premiere? I'm going to go Impulse just because it had a lot of little things that bothered okay. me. Okay. Uh, was there any major things that bothered you? Uh, that it was a Michael Burnham episode? <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm right with you. I kind of felt like one of the things that they did really well on this episode was was that this was part of the on-location shooting, which I thought looked really great. Um, they did a pretty good job introducing the, the whole book character. Um, but that being said, that whole, like, um, what do they call them? Transporters? Uh, couriers. Uh, I don't know that that ever really worked. And this is all gets kind of introduced here. Uh, we kind of get the Michael Burnham... Uh, acting range when she kind of goes a bit goofy and stuff. I'm kind of with you. I'm going to go impulse speed. This one is pretty close to being able to go to the other side and go to warp speed for me. Um, I think that at least we still have some potential here. What were your thoughts? Just kind of like when you saw this, did you think, okay, you know, this this has some potential. This could be good. Or did you think, uh-oh, like this is a thir 30 minutes of this was, you know, arm cannon shooting uh, at two people hiding behind <laughs> rocks. Like, what were your kind of thoughts about the anticipation of the season? I, I was on the fence, but because there's little things that bug me about it, I was I would say impulse. Okay. Yep. Uh, and we can talk about those little impulse, those little uh, inter intersyncrasies a little bit later. So let's jump into the second episode, which is basically the discovery episode, um, and this is where the discovery crash lands on Iceland or a strange planet, um, and the crew finds themselves racing against time to repair the ship. 
And I do believe this is also the one where Saru and Tilly kind of have to go into the little town and we're introduced to some of the villainous characters that are going to kind of pop up throughout the way. Uh, what are your thoughts on the episode Far From Home, Matt? Uh, much the same. It's sort of on the fence, but there were some little things in this one that really bugged me. So I'm going to say impulse speed for this one as well. Okay. Um, I'm going to say that this episode was just terrible. Um, I thought that the Iceland scenes were great. Um, I thought that it looked really beautiful. Um, but I don't know that I love the ship crashing into a planet. That seems like something that needs to be a little bit more major. Um, we, whenever we've seen ships crashing onto planets, um, I'm thinking kind of like that Voyager episode, which was a season premiere, I believe, or maybe a season finale. Um, we also saw the Enterprise-D crash onto the planet. Like Those were huge moments that ended up being like a huge part of it. And the way that they get out of this, where it's sinking into the ice, is so lazy and so lame and i also just thought that that stuff in the bar was absolutely like borderline unwatchable um just so mundane and these new characters just seemed like something out of like a 1950s greaser uh tv series and i just didn't like it at all i'm gonna go <laughs> impulse speed and this is probably the episode where i was like uh-oh like i hope this isn't what it's going to be like because this to me is not really the exciting adventure of you know a thousand years in the future all right. Well, I digress. Let's move on to the uh, third episode, which was the people of Earth, such as Matt and my, myself, right? Uh, they get reunited with Michael Burnham, and they head to Earth straight away. Um, and they basically are going to try to find out what happened to the Federation. This is such a great idea for an episode, Matt. Um, I don't know about you, but I personally love episodes where the cast and the crew and everybody goes to Earth. It's like some of my favorite episodes, even though maybe they do it a little too often. But I was really excited to see what has been happening on Earth in the last thousand years. Matt, was it a satisfying uh, warp speed episode or a disappointing impulse speed episode? This one I'm going to go warp speed because uh, I, th I thought it was a very, the most Star Trekian of the uh, season. There was this kind of issue with the people pillaging their dilithium and they thought it was these evil awful aliens and then you know the discovery just thought oh why don't we get them in the same room and figure out what the actual problem is and that seemed very star trekian to me so um i'm gonna give this one a warp speed okay yeah i'm gonna go impulse speed i felt like it was disappointing i mean this was the whole gimmick of the third season was that we were going to go a thousand years in the future think about how much has changed in the last thousand years and think about how crazy things will be so different a thousand years in the future and so to cruise up and to find out that basically it's like yeah no nothing really uh we now have like a big shield system and we're having like minor gripes with like pirates uh, but it's mostly the same and the, the federation has disbanded uh yeah what a lackluster kind of uh resolution and the fact that this is kind of the only time that we really spend on earth and they just kind of basically leave and that's it uh was really disappointing i don't really understand even why the federation like headquarters couldn't have still been um around the you know soul solar system um i felt like it should have just been there and that could have been like a really cool reveal because i actually think that the way that the federation had like that floating like artilla was kind of cool it should have been on earth um and so because they didn't put it there and they made earth like the lamest place ever uh it's gonna get an impulse speed for me 
Um, okay, let's keep going. You can see that I am uh, I'm off to a bad start here. Um, this is <laughs> it's not looking good for me. Um, this is kind of like what this is almost a quarter of the way, Matt. What are your thoughts, kind of like on the initial like triad of episodes where we figure out where we're at, where we're going? Are you still excited at this point, or are you starting to kind of pull at your collar? Generally okay. Okay, but not super excited. Yeah, I am definitely like the sweat is beating on my forehead, and I am really nervous at this point. I'm I'm really thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> this is not going the way that I had hoped. Uh, but let's go on to Forget Me Not. Uh, this is actually where we do get to visit a, uh, you know, a home world that we've seen before. So this is where Burnham and Adira visit the Trill home world um, while Saru is trying to kind of uh, reconnect the crew, I guess. Um, and they're trying to deal with the fact that they left all their family and friends behind. Um, what are your thoughts on Forget Me Not? This is the Trill episode. I know that you love Jadzia Dax, and I know that you know we've talked about Trill in past episodes and stuff. So, how do you feel like this fits into the Trill canon? Is it impulse or is it warp? Well, I didn't have a problem with how it fit in with the canon, but uh, Burnham going down to a planet with someone who's experiencing a medical issue makes zero sense, and that like dinner in the wardroom was awful. So, um, this is going to get an impulse uh, speed for me. Uh, yeah, so th I think this is also the episode where, uh, like, Kayla Dedimer has that big speech at the dinner that is, you know, like, TikTok-level cringe, where she's like, I'm the one that drives the ship, not you, Stamets, even though they never warp <laughs> anywhere or ever drive anywhere. They always just use that stupid spore drive. Um, and I thought the Trill stuff was kind of boring. Like, when they did it with Jadzia and we learned all about it the first time, it was, like, so fascinating and cool. And again, it's kind of like, wow, the Trill species haven't advanced or done anything in the last thousand years. They're basically doing the exact same thing that we saw them doing before. Uh, the only difference is that their costumes and makeup is slightly, you know, fancified. And now they're maybe like a bit more aggressive. But for the most part, it's kind of like they're the same. And also, yeah, like Michael Burnham coming in and having to solve like trill problems, even though she barely even knew what a trill was at the beginning of the episode, makes it an impulse <laughs> speed for me. Um, okay, now let us jump to um the next episode that was kind of like a one-off right like the going to trill and everything uh the next episode die trying is the one where the discovery has to prove that a thousand year old ship um uh, you know is going to be useful so this obviously brings in the admiral and everything what were your thoughts on the episode die trying i'm kind of on the fence with this one but i think i'm gonna give it the benefit of the doubt and say warp speed because i did kind of like that this whole idea that they need to prove themselves because they're like in a thousand year old starship that's you know in in many ways probably obsolete but um i, I do like the idea that they did have to kind of prove themselves and that that admiral vance was like willing to give them a chance to prove their their value and their usefulness so i'm gonna that's kind of a star trekian thing i would say so i'm gonna give this one a, a warp speed this is also the episode where we get introduced to the federation correct Yes. Because Adira is able to kind of tell them where the, the hideout is where to go. and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. I'm right on the fence here. Um, this is also the episode where we lose Non, right? She decides to stay on that kind of ship where her people were. That's right. Yeah, the seed ship. Yeah. You know what? If this was kind of surrounded with some better stuff, I would probably say that it's warp speed. But for me... 
the only thing that I cared or wanted about in this entire season was that I just wanted to see where everything was at and, and what everything has been up to. And with this particular episode, I remember they got to the Federation and they were like, it looks like it's the USS Voyager J. And I was like, yes, this is what I want. We're back in the Federation. Here's all the same old ships that we know. And they're like updated and it's badass. And we got this new Admiral or he's the is he the admiral or is he like just the chief? I forget what they, his name was, but basically it's like Admiral Vance is is like he's like cool and he, and he's interesting. And we've got uh, David Cronenberg, and then they go off on this pointless mission to the seed ship to to do something, I guess. And then Non is watching like old movies of like I guess it's supposed to be her like family <laughs> or something. And then she decides to stay there because they can't leave. And it's just like, what are we doing? Like, what is this about? Like, go back to where the headquarters is. Let's, like, check out some new ships. Like, where's the Enterprise at? You know, what's this chain of command? Like, that's the stuff I care about. And to go around the seed ship thing. Like, oh, my God, that was so lame. So that is an impulse speed for me. Uh, Okay. Now, uh, next one is Scavengers. All right. And Scavengers is the one where Burnham and Georgiou do a buddy cop rogue mission to rescue Book, <laughs> and uh, that leaves Saru, uh, who is now the captain, to basically, uh, I guess, like distract Vance or to basically pick up the pieces. What are your thoughts on Scavengers? I'm going to say Impulse because, you know, Michael Burnham in classic Michael Burnham fashion decides to just to hell with orders and to hell with my duty. I'm, I need to go rescue my boyfriend from, you know, whatever it was that he's doing. And, you know, Saru's just sort of like, oh, okay, I guess. Um, I guess I'll, like, smooth things over with Admiral Vance while you're gone. Like, what a jerk. Impulse <laughs> yeah, speed. Yeah, this one, I couldn't even tell you what happens. I can specifically remember watching this episode, and there was, I think, Saru, Vance, maybe David Cronenberg, maybe somebody else. They all said, Michael, don't go down to the sanctuary. And she was like, I'm going to go anyway, and I'm going to bring Giorgio. And I, I, can, I literally just took out my phone, and I scrolled through like Instagram. I couldn't even watch this. This was so bad and so boring. Um, and this is also we get introduced to the um, – I think this is where emerald like chain. the yeah the emerald chain. Oh my goodness gracious me! This one, it, this is not emer- this is not impulse speed. This one is like dead stop. Like this is <laughs> never watch it again. Uh, it this is horrible, like horrible. The only thing that was good about this episode was that when it was over, they showed the preview for Unification Part Three. And if you remember, which I'm sure you do, because I'm pretty sure it's your favorite TNG episode. Unifications yes. part one and two with Leonard Nimoy as Spock, next generation. You had to be pretty excited when you saw the next episode, which was, of course, Unification part three. How excited were you, Matt? Well, given the track record of the writers, I wasn't that excited. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, was it an impulse speed or was it a warp speed? This, of course, is the one where Burnham represents the Federation in an intense debate on Navarre, which is formerly known as Vulcan, uh, to see if uh, they can get very sensitive burn data. Well, oh, this is another classic case of, you know, Michael Burnham saves the day. She just went on an unsanctioned mission d- defying everything that everyone told her she could not do. And then, of course, Vance, you know, says, oh, we need this burn data you're going to go negotiate for it like it makes no sense 
and Michael Burnham, of course, saves the day, like, unwittingly, and um, we get this odd reunion with her mother, who apparently d decided, I'm going to become a Romulan monk in the 32nd century. Oh, uh, it God, was, yes. It was just, it was not good. I was not impressed with Unification 3. Uh, definitely impulse speed. The worst part of this is that it actually makes Unification Part 1 and Part 2, like, forever linked to this garbage. Um, this, like, if you watched Unification Part 1, and then you watch Unification Part 2, and you're just sitting there with a big smile on your face, and you're like, oh yeah, this is like Trek to the absolute T. And then you flip this on, you'd be like, what? How, how does this have anything to do with the unification of Vulcan and Romulus? And, like, they mention Spock at one point, but then they just use this as, like, a very cheap, like shoehorn in uh that stuff from picard about like the the monks that uh it's only women but there was that elron guy who was teamed up with picard and it's just like oh this is just so just so bad so so bad and this is also right in the middle where they're still looking for the burn data uh which obviously we're not going to know for till the end of the season so it's like who cares like you're not going to learn anything you're not going to gain anything. So this is just basically like, oh, look, Vulcan changed their name. That's what this could have been. They could have just been like, oh, you know what, guys? In the th last thousand years, Vulcan changed their name and nothing else was different. Uh, oof, horrible, <laughs> horrible, horrible, horrible. That's impulse speed for me. And at this point, I'm like panicked. Um, this was kind of getting close to me. Like, I think this was maybe around the halfway mark where I was actually thinking, like, I don't know that I can keep watching this. Like, this is so bad and on so many levels, and I just knew that it wasn't going to get any better. This was kind of, you know, the tent pull moment, Unification Part 3. Like, if you screw that up, man, like, there's there's nothing that they're going to come up with that's going to be satisfying for me. Uh, and I soldiered on because I knew that one day you and I would sit down and talk about it. So um, I watched <laughs> it for this sake so that you and I can talk about it. But at this Taking point... Taking one for the team. Yeah, I am definitely not feeling very good. Uh, the next episode was The Sanctuary. This is the one where Burnham and the Discovery travel to Book's home planet, which I don't remember the name of, uh, to help uh, rescue it from Osira, who is the leader of that Emerald Chain gang. What were your thoughts on this one? I think I may have actually fallen asleep while I was watching this. It was so, so boring and so slow. Yeah. And I, 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 I don't even remember a lot of the specifics of what happened, to be honest with you. They go to his planet and Osiris like holding them at gunpoint or something like metaphorically speaking. And then mm -hmm. of course book, you know, gets his chance to save the day. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I, this, this was, I just remember this one was really bad and really boring, and I may have actually fallen asleep at one point watching it. So impulse speed. Yeah, this one is impulse speed, man. I, this is, I, could, I think his brother was in it, and also this is right around the time where Giorgio gets sick, I think. Um, yep. Yep. Who cares? It's terrible. Uh, the next one, Terra Firma. This one is uh, a two-parter, and so this was kind of... Maybe I rose a spocking eyebrow when I saw a two-parter, terra firma. Uh, so the the first part is that Discovery uh, travels to a mysterious planet that hopes to find a cure for Giorgio's deteriorating condition. Um, and then she goes through this mysterious, mysterious 
portal uh, and pops up in the mirror universe sometime in the past. Uh, and basically she has to kind of, I guess, relive some of her, her olden days with a lot of the characters in their mirror universe stuff. Um, this happened to be the one that you were on open channel for. And um, I was, yeah, I mean, if anybody's curious and wants a bit more in-depth, they could go back and listen to that because Matt was on for this particular episode. Uh, was this a warp speed or an impulse speed, Matt? It was. I actually quite enjoyed this one, um, just because I feel like, like the aesthetics of the mirror universe in this show are really good, and this yep. is a, an instance where the high production values really shine through. And I, th- I mean, it was kind of interesting to go back and look at sort of how things unfolded just prior to when the fir- the glimpse we get in the mirror universe in season one. And I actually quite enjoyed this one. And I mean, it, it, it's basically a pilot for the Section 31 show right. for those that are not, you know, privy to that. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I, I found that this one was actually kind of decent. And I didn't mind that it ended up being the Guardian of Forever at the end. And I loved the the, the physical portal or whatever guardian thing that we saw at the end i thought that was a really really awesome sort of modern take on the guardian of forever so um i'm gonna give i I mean i don't know if you have different opinions on part one or part two but for the episode as a whole is just is a warp speed for me both parts uh yeah i mean there's lots bad um i think that you know using that stupid sphere data from i think the first season in order to uh, kind of triangulate where the Guardian of Forever was because there's only a 0.01% chance of saving her. That's pretty dumb. Um, I also didn't really love that they introduced the whole Kelvin JJ stuff here, basically saying that, you know, if you'd bounce between universes or time periods, then it like messes you up or something. And because Georgiou did both, that's why she's so sick. Like, that's pretty lame. But I mean, it's it's almost like this episode was good despite itself because the Kelpian distress ship stuff was horrible. Uh, most of the stuff on the on the on the actual discovery in real time was terrible. But it's like you said, the, the the mirror universe is just so interesting, and it's so interesting to see all the characters in their opposites that it's like ah, uh, it's actually really good. Uh, so this one's gonna get a warp speed. That's my first warp speed. Um, I actually thought that the second half was not nearly as good as the first half. Um, it's kind of just boils down to a lot of fighting and kicking and punching. Um, and then eventually... Agony booths? Yeah, agony booths. <laughs> uh, Giorgio ends up kind of deciding to go through by herself, and she's going to kind of, like, make some big changes, star in her own show. Who knows? Um, I'm going to give it a warp speed as well, just because I kind of feel like you need both parts. But, yeah, the first part was probably the best episode of the season for me personally. Um, and this was kind of like, okay, well, maybe maybe the back half is going to, uh, you know, is, is going to be decent. So let, let's take it home. Uh, the next episode, Matt, is an episode called Sukal. Um, and Sukal, of course, um, is the episode where they go to the Verubian Nebula, where they find the origin of the burn, and they also face an unexpected threat. What were your thoughts on the episode Sukal? Sukal is going to get the singular distinction of going at uh, thruster speed. Right. This this is where the whole thing just completely fell apart for me. Um, it was brutal. Like they have this, they, they they drag this whole burn thing through the whole season, and we find out that a unhinged Kelpian living in a hollow deck, who got afraid of the monster under the bed, is the reason why we have the burn. 
Yep. That is just awful. Yeah. Like, like that is, like, one of the, like, I don't know what they're thinking when they, like, came up with this whole idea. Uh, So, yeah, thruster speed for this one. Yeah, this is a, this is reverse speed is what this is. Because that after, (laughs) after getting Terra, it's almost my own fault. Because Terra Firm, I was like, oh, you know what? That's actually kind of good. Like, maybe the burn will be cool, guys. And it was like, oh, you you think it's going to be good, eh? Oh, okay, here you go. This is what we came up with. And it's like, oh, no, what was I thinking? Um, This, to me, is almost like spiteful. Because a lot of people were upset in, I think the writers were upset in the first season because everybody figured out that they were doing the Mirror Universe. And then in the second season, everybody figured out that it was going to be Michael Burnham for the Red Angel. And it was almost like the writers were sitting in the room doing doing up their mystery boxes for this season. And they were like, oh, you guys want to try to guess what it is, eh? Well, we're going to come up with something so (laughs) moronic. Something so stupid and so mind-numbingly asinine that nobody will ever predict it. And I can guarantee, I mean, you could search to the ends of the internet. You could literally search until you have seen every page on the internet. Nobody's guessed this. Nobody. <laughs> nobody in the, in the world could have guessed this just because it is so, so stupid. Put, the, put it in reverse full speed. And then just, you know what this is actually? This is like if you were going warp speed and you just threw it into park and just blew the engine right out of your car. Uh, that's what this is like. <laughs> so okay. that's, let's go to the last two. At this point, I am cr- like just forcing myself. Like the last couple of episodes, I actually had to get the old um, clockwork orange like eye opening uh, device. To make me watch this because it's just so bad. So, um, like when Homer was cramming for his uh, test when ex- he went back to college. Back to college, exactly. <laughs> that crusty old dean. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the next episode is There Is a Tide. And this is the one where Osira, who I guess is the main villain of the season, we find out, uh, is looking for a meeting with Admiral Vance, who uh, is going to, she's going to try to rejoin them, I guess. Um, she's going to use the discovery as leverage to kind of infiltrate the Federation and to potentially remerge the two, but there's also a coup in place. What were your thoughts on There is a Tide? Uh, this is another impulse speed. I, I don't know. It was just bad. Um, she takes over the ship. She brings it back to Federation headquarters and somehow thinks that like, yeah, I've got your most valuable thing here. Like, you know, but I want to negotiate to, you know, join the Federation. Like, you think Vance, like, what what is Vance thinking, even giving her a, a yeah. any bit of oxygen here? Like, it's very obvious that she is up to something. And he didn't seem to, I don't know if Vance was, like, trying to, like, out political maneuver her or what he was, what, what why he would even give, give, have a meeting with her. But it was, I don't know, there was just a lot here that I was really not impressed with. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, I actually really kind of like that actress, Osira. I thought that she had a cool look. And I thought that she could be good. But the way that they wrote all of her kind of underlings and the whole Emerald Chain and stuff was just so bad that by the time we get to this section where they're going to kind of have this coup, it's just like, ugh. And also the fact that they promoted Tilly to be the acting captain only for it to completely go down the toilet in about two seconds was just ugh, awful. Impulse speed. Um, the last episode, That Hope Is You, part two, uh, which if you're a little confused, the first episode 
The Hope Was You, which was Michael Burnham. Uh, and now the last episode, The Hope Is You Part 2, is also Michael Burnham. Uh, but of course, this is the one where they have one chance to save themselves and the Federation um, as the Emerald Chain tightens their grip. And of course, this is when we get like the full uh, answer to what the burn is, and they solve it, I guess, forever. Uh, what are your thoughts on the season finale of um, Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Matt? It was also an impulse speed. It was pretty predictable and there was a lot of like sort of manufactured drama that if you really stop and think about it didn't make a whole lot of sense like for example why is owo going to take that like bomb to the nacelles and then at the last minute one of those drones like picks her up and is like oh you can do this finish it like why wouldn't they just send the drone right away you're thinking too much, man. I think that you're, spo you're supposed well, to be stuffing okay. your face with popcorn and just looking at the pretty lights and sounds. I guess sometimes I'm guilty of that. I guess it depends who you ask. Um, but I, I mean, Burnham it sends it saves the day. Shockingly, we find out the true cause of the burn, which was like not really any better than what we got two episodes earlier. And the ending was not all that satisfying to me. So... Um, yeah, impulse speed for uh, that hope is you part two. Yeah, I don't want to give away my big kind of final reveal here, but this is an impulse speed episode. There was one thing that I liked. It was about thirty seconds long, and it is going. I'm going to leave it in the mystery box so that everybody listening <laughs> will have to uh, wait and see what that 30 seconds that I liked was. But other than that, I hated the whole episode, uh, every aspect of it, every character beat, the the burn. I hated all of it, except for 30 seconds. And if you want to find out what that 30 seconds was, you're going to have to listen to the whole podcast, just like I had to watch this whole season to find out that Sukal was the one that caused the burn. Uh, so, Matt, that means that you had four out of 13 episodes that were uh, warp speed for you. Uh, I had basically one episode, but I gave the the second part of Terra Firma, so I only enjoyed two episodes out of the 13. Uh, and so definitely, I think it's safe to say, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, yeah, we definitely didn't like this as much as we liked Lower Decks, because Lower Decks was a straight sweep uh, across the board. Uh, I would definitely say that's uh, a correct statement. All right, Matt, let us uh, kind of break down the general plot here. I don't think that I want to go through every little bit and piece, and I don't think that you do either. So let's just kind of talk about the big hits uh, and the big pieces. And, of course, the, the biggest one is The Burn, which uh, is the, the Mystery Box Theater 3000. Uh, it took us the entire season almost <laughs> to figure out what The Burn was, how it happened, um, what were your thoughts as just as a mystery, but also just as a piece of writing and a piece of, uh, of plotting? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I thought early on it was okay. I, I mean, they wanted to establish this sort of disjointed galaxy. And I think having some catastrophic event that caused all the dilithium in the universe to go kaboom not the worst way to establish that and i i mean i thought some of the clues early on were not terrible but it got kind of old as the season wore on and obviously the the end result was very awful so um i, I mean early in the season i didn't mind it so much but you know it's like kind of got old quickly as the season wore on i guess and the ending was not 
didn't make it worth it. Yeah, the, the thing for me that I really hated about the burn straight away was that, I mean, 90% of what people love about Star Trek is the trekking. And so to write something that essentially makes it really difficult to move around and to travel about is just such a stupid idea, right? I mean, I get the idea that they wanted to kind of have everybody segregated, but there's other ways that they could have done that, right? Political ways or uh, maybe kind of um, distension between the different members of the Federation where, you know, maybe they had just fallen out of favor. And so that's why they kind of had separated or maybe they were like devastated by war or a million different other things to make something that is... Uh, so has such a big consequence is such a terrible idea because now you can't really travel anywhere these courier things ended up not being really that interesting and i don't even really get it so there's no dilithium and so you have couriers who drive everything around well where are they getting it and, and how are they doing it like there's so many little questions that kind of pop up from it i thought that this was a really dumb thing and i felt like it was so obvious that they were thinking, okay, well, the Discovery has the spore drive. Nobody likes it. Everybody hates it. Everybody thinks it's stupid. So we're going to make a reason why the Discovery is the most important ship ever. And they're going to be able to go everywhere. And nobody else is going to be able to because we're going to destroy all the fuel in the world. Even though it has no real connection to anything. Like, I don't think that there could be something that would happen on, like, a galactic or a universe level incident that would have an effect. And obviously they couldn't think of a, of a scientific reason. So what they came up with was just horrible anyway. Um, yeah, I didn't like the burn as an idea. I didn't like that it was a mystery. And I like it even less that, you know, it's been 200, 300 years and Discovery is going to solve it and, and cure it in, a, what, a week? A couple of days they're going to solve it? I just disliked that, man. Well, that didn't help either that Michael Burnham was the only person in the, like, whatever, 125 years since the burn to think, oh, maybe we can figure out the cause by collecting data and analyzing the data and figuring out that, oh, there was actually a, you know, origin of this thing. Like, no one thought to do that. Like, I know the argument has been made that, like, oh, but there's no dilithium, so they can't travel and they can't gather the information, but it's been 125 years like, no one thought to do right. this, and no one was able right. to do this in 125 years, and Michael Burnham's got it figured out in a in month 15 minutes. whatever it yeah. is. Oh, my goodness. Come on. People. Not only that, the way that, they, the way that they discovered it was literally triangulation, like stuff that, like, early humans were doing. You know what I mean? Like, something that we've had around here for hundreds, if not thousands of years, like, triangulating a location, like sailors and stuff. They've been triangulating using, like, navigational points and stars and stuff for as long as there have, people have been walking around on the Earth. And so the fact that in this super advanced societies, all these different species, and they had kind of even given up. They were like, yeah, there's no way to solve it, guys. We're not even trying anymore. And then Michael Burnham shows up and is like, no, no, we need to figure out what it is. And she does it like instantly. That to me was really, really hurt the season for, for me purpose, or for me anyway. Well, and, the, and that's the issue with that I have with Michael Burnham is that she, yeah, she comes up with all the solutions, but it makes everyone else seem so dumb. Right. Yeah, it's not like she's really and, and smart. That, and everyone that, else is it, dumb. Yeah, well, that's how it makes it seem, right? Like they want to make her this sort of larger than life, superhuman 
person who can solve anything. But when you do that, and I mean, it, it even goes to the cast, right? Like how many times have we talked about how dumb does Saru, like do, does she make Saru look or how dumb does she make, uh, you know, Captain Pike look? You know, if yeah. she comes up with all these solutions that no one else can think of, like, then what the hell do they even have other characters on the show for? Yeah, they they, they can't seem to get out from underneath this this kind of this problem right and they even go so far as to like demote her in this particular ep in this season and it almost makes no difference like literally her getting demoted changed absolutely nothing well and i mean that it was pretty obvious sort of at the end that the, they wanted to make her the captain. right so just do it they should have just done it after Giorgio died in the like the second episode well, well exactly and and they make it seem not like completely out of like, it doesn't seem realistic because she's doing all these things that are insubordinate and she's defying the orders of her command, like direct orders from her commanding officer and from the, like, head of Starfleet. And then somehow we're to believe that, like, they're like, oh, you know what? That wasn't so bad. We'll make you the captain. Like, I'm sorry. I don't buy that. Yeah. Like, if you, if, you, if you did something that your boss told you explicitly, do not do this. Multiple times. Multiple times over over the course of the show, do you expect to be getting promoted like in a you know a couple of weeks after the doing what your yeah. <laughs> your boss told you not to do? Yeah, I mean we can kind of save Michael Burnham for a little bit later, but I mean even Michael Burnham, as great as she was, couldn't have conjured up the absolutely ridiculous reason why the burn happened in the first place. Um, what are your thoughts on the cause of the burn? And is that one of those things where it's almost like the unforgivable sin? Like it's so bad that you could really just never, you know, you, you, you could never forgive it. Well, it was preposterous. Like it is an absolutely preposterous premise that a humanoid living on a dilithium rich planet would have their biology altered in such a way that if they got frightened it would somehow cause this galactic event like it is just insane like how can like that doesn't make any sense like i'm not a biologist by any stretch of the imagination but i don't think that that is even remotely plausible and it ruined the whole season for yeah me. like sue call just like i after sue call i was like why did i waste my time watching yeah this? And, and this is this is literally the kind of thing where, like, I'm a diehard Star Trek fan, man. Like, I got the T-shirts and I got the toys and everything else. But when they do something like that, this is like the last Jedi of Star Trek. This is so bad <laughs> and so embarrassing. Like, it almost makes you slink down in your chair. And, you know, like, when I was a kid growing up, like, bullying was still pretty prevalent. You know, if you were, if you like Star Trek, you were a nerd and you were, like, a loser. And, like, uh, you know, people always say, like, oh, that's that's for such losers. And I always fought back and said, no, it isn't, it isn't. But then, like, after seeing this, I was like, yeah, I'm a loser for watching this. Like, <laughs> make fun of me. Like, yeah. If I'm watching this and enjoying it, like, yeah, please just bully me mercilessly. Dunk my head in the toilet, like. This is, yeah, like, you, this is so bad. I, I would have taken anything else, like, literally anything. I, I would have taken, like, uh, you know, Captain Kirk, like, leaving a burrito in the microwave too long in the Nexus, and that's what caused it. Like, that <laughs> would have been better, honestly. I, they should have got 95-year-old William Shatner back and had him putting a pizza pocket in the microwave and putting it on, like, superpower, and that's what caused the burn. That would be better than this. Like, it's just, oh. Well, or, 
Or maybe go with the fan theory that it was like something to do with Omega particles. You know what? That's at least kind of doing some decent kind of thinking, right? Looking at some old Voyager yeah. episodes and the fact that they had the Federation had taken the Omega particles so seriously. Um, that would be too smart, actually, though. That's the thing, right? It's too good of an idea. And so they'd never use it. And also because somebody thought that that would be good, they were trying to make something that nobody could predict. And they did succeed in that. I will t I will say that. <laughs> they definitely came up with something that nobody could predict, but it also just happens to be something that nobody likes. So that's the downside. Maybe we need to get the writing team a copy of the Star Trek Encyclopedia. Yeah, exactly. That should be like uh, required reading for anybody who wants to work on the show. It would probably help. All right, let's get off the burn because I feel like we could probably spend the whole two hours on that. Uh, and let's kind of talk about the planets that we visit. So I think that, I mean, we see Book's home planet. We see a couple of new planets. But the ones that we know are uh, of already were Earth, Trill, and Navarre, which is the new name for Vulcan. Um, what were your thoughts on kind of the early exploration of our old favorite hangouts from the old Star Trek series? I think they weren't terrible. I mean, the, the trip to Earth was kind of i thought it was okay mm -hmm. um i thought that episode was okay and they did get to go down to the planet and kind of you know go hug a big tree and enjoy some of the scenery and um i, I we did see a bit of uh trill mm -hmm. um i mean we mentioned that navarre we didn't really see it no. they just sort of go there which was kind of which is disappointing yep. because i feel like they could with the technology they have now they probably could have made that look pretty spectacular if they'd actually gone down to Navarre. Um, I, I didn't think it was terrible. Like it would have been nice as we sort of discussed earlier that we maybe got a bit more, got to see some of the more familiar places, but uh, I mean, what they did, I didn't think it was terrible. It could have been better, but it wasn't bad. Uh, Matt, if I uh, sent you 1000 years into the future, okay? So I snap my fingers Q style and you go 1000 years into the future. Where are the three places that you would go and check out first? Like on the planet? On the planet, yeah. Hmm. I would probably go to places that I've already been. Yeah, of course. And like what specific spots? Like the house you grew up maybe or like the city that you grew up? Like where would be the where would be your like hot spots to go to? That's an interesting question. I mean, I would definitely be interested to see what my hometown looks like. Definitely, 100%. Um, I don't know. I kind of feel... Maybe uh, maybe where I went to school, like yep. uh, went to university. Yeah, right on. And maybe like you go to like a major city, like maybe someplace you'd gone on vacation, you just want to see like where it's different, right? But yeah, it'd be really cool to probably... do that, right? Like if, if I could show you your like hometown a thousand years in the future, that'd be really interesting, wouldn't it? Of course, yeah, definitely. Yeah, this wasn't that, right? Like, this was not that. Uh, we went a thousand years into the future. We go to our home planet, which we're all very, uh, you know, keen on, Earth. And it's basically just the same. They've replaced the Golden Gate Bridge with uh, solar panels. In a thousand years. That's what's changed. Like, that, that's that, that's hmm. like going to your home planet and it's like, oh, yeah, we, they closed the McDonald's. It's a, it's a Burger King now. <laughs> oh, okay. That's it? Yeah, yeah, that's all. Like, this was so disappointing that we didn't get anything else or anything. In, like, there was really nothing at all. Like, it was so lackluster. It was like they were so afraid of, like, screwing it up. They just did nothing. And, I mean, 
Like, I would say the same thing is true if I said go back a thousand years, right? If I went, if you went back a thousand years, I'd like to see what my hometown was like. I'd like to see, you know, what London, England looked like or whatever, right? And this is just so, like, just nothing. I, I just think it's just not enough. It's, they go so crazy and so zany with the burn. But then when it came to the whole exploration stuff, there was, there was no interesting idea. There was nothing different. And it's just disappointing to me, unfortunately. Um Anyway, let's kind of get off that as well. Um, the the Federation, though, um, was something that I thought actually was kind of cool. I do like that we get like this, you know, rebel. Uh, remember in uh, Return of the Jedi when like the rebels are all on the move? We kind of get like this floating headquarters that is the Federation where all the ships are in the shields and everything like that. Um, what were your thoughts on the Federation? And what did you think about the idea that, you know, the... The Discovery is going to have to kind of prove that it's still decent so far into the future. Yeah, well, I like the idea that they had to prove their worth um, be- because it's a pretty old ship and the technology is probably mostly outdated. Um, and But I, I think it was nice that they got an opportunity to prove, like, like, I mean, the crew. I mean, obviously the ship is kind of old, but it does have that one sort of magical element that makes it valuable. Um but I like that the crew was sort of given this opportunity to say, okay, you guys can still function in the, even though you're a thousand years in the future and that they were actually able to, to, to do something worthwhile. Um, as far as like the, the sort of diminished Federation, um, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense in the sort of landscape that were presented in the 32nd century. And, um, yeah, I, I thought it was it was decent. Did you think that this was going to tie into that? Uh, remember that short trek Calypso, where they yep. they said that the ship had been sitting there waiting for a thousand years, and then they had bumped into um, that the guy, which I, for, I thought for sure that it was Booker in that episode, but I actually just looked it up. It's not. It's a guy named Kraft. Did you think that that was going to tie in, or were you disappointed that it didn't tie in? Or is that a thousand years from now? Who knows. Yeah, I thought maybe it would, but I wasn't really, it wasn't something I was really thinking of right. as I was watching through this. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the biggest problems here is just that, like, the spore drive is so bad and so stupid that, you know, the fact that they, that's really the, the big thing is that, you know, they have the spore drive. But, I mean, with all the technology that they have in this century, couldn't they just copy it and then everybody could spore drive around? But then the problem with that is, is once you do that, then it turns into this whole thing where like now you're not traveling anywhere and like there's not really going to be fighting because you could just always leave. And I don't know, the, the spore drive kind of ruins it. I thought that the whole thing about the end of season two was that they remember they were saying how like they were going to delete the files on the spore drive and they were never going to use it. But now like they're just using it freely. I also thought that it destroyed the mycelial network whenever they used it, but Maybe that wasn't true as well. Um, yeah, this was really disappointing to me because I actually thought the Federation was really cool in season three, but the the st- discovery is still pretty lame. Well, I mean, I guess they needed Stamets to run it. That was sort of the limiting factor, I think. But then they throw that <laughs> out the window when it when it no longer suited them because they couldn't have Stamets on the ship during the final battle. Right. So then they're like, oh, but Book can, book can yeah, do it. Yeah, basically, it's not really that hard. Really? What? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. Book can do it. When when did this happen? Well, because he like, has animals or he knows animals or something, and so he knew what a tardigrade was. He's like, he's like in tune with 
the animals. Yeah. <laughs> that part was that made no sense. I was like, what? Yeah. Booker can run the spore drive? Like since when? Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Why hasn't he been doing it for the last like twelve episodes? There was no mention whatsoever that it was even a remote that it was even a possibility and now all of a sudden he can just waltz into the like chamber thing and you can just do it. Yeah, and I mean, ugh, yeah, I don't even want to talk about that, man. It was so bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that ugh, that whole book and has like the connection with animals is dropped almost immediately, only to be re, you know, rekindled in the last thirty seconds of the show, um, which is not my favorite thirty seconds, by the way. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't know, and I, I also didn't think that when they got accepted. And they did the uh, the updates, like they had changed uh, some of the discovery stuff. I didn't really get it. Like, why would you want a ship where the nacelles are not actually connected? Like, they're hooked up by magnets. Like, what would be the benefit of that? I have no idea. And also, they never warp. No anywhere. idea. They only ever do the spore jumping. So why would it even matter? Why do they even have nacelles? And when at the end of the <laughs> yeah at the end of the season when like O goes and she goes into the nacelle, how does she get across the barrier where there where it's not connected? There are a lot of questions that were not answered in that final episode. And just kind of like why is there a cavern-sized empty you know cavity in the middle of the ship where right. all the turbo lifts go? Um, that is like way bigger than the ship is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, 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 oh God. Anyway, um, the other thing is, <laughs> we're getting ahead of right, ourselves. Um, I watched that. Have you ever seen the movie Iron Man? Yep. Two thousand and eight. Uh, so I watched it. Yes, I actually watched I it have. last night. I just whatever. I was flipping around and I, and I I was watching it. And there's that episode. There's a scene where he's making the the Iron Man suit. And there's kind of like the 3D model, and he's like grabbing pieces and throwing them away and stuff. And I was like, that's the scene. That is the scene that ruined Star Trek forever. Because as soon as somebody saw that thing where Robert Downey Jr. was like dealing and interacting with the the 3D screen or whatever, the, whatever it's called, it was like every writer, prop guy, person who works on TV was like, yeah, that's how everything works. And this idea that it's like programmable matter that is going to go up and it's going to be hooked onto your fingers and you're actually just going to like twist your hand and do stuff in order to run it is so mind numbingly stupid and would be so difficult to actually operate that it is just so frustrating. It is really bad in Picard and it's almost worse with this one because they actually make it seem like it's not even an interface. It's actually like mechanical stuff that's being arranged to fit your fingers what were your thoughts on the updates in terms of the controls or are you just numb to it and you just don't care well it's like they kind of move backwards right because we originally we had like dials and switches and you know you actually physically had buttons to push and then we get to like the touch screens and now we've sort of gone back to the like mechanical right. controls only now we have this programmable matter so it's like all you got to do is like twitch your finger or something and the ship will like do a barrel roll or or whatever um that that was seemed really gimmicky to me it was like the visual effects guys were like oh what's you know, you know come up with some cool new interface that that looks futuristic and looks looks inter like looks cool and and that's what we get 
I mean, that's basically what we do nowadays with science fiction movies. Is we try to make the controls as cool yeah. and flashy as possible. But I don't know that it adds a lot. I think it, I think it is just kind of dumb. But oh well, that's me. Um, I, I think that the updates to the sets look really cool. I thought that the ship looked kind of neat. Um, but I, I don't know. Discovery has always kind of been held back a little bit by the way that it looks it seems like it's so small and they it's so important but it's it just doesn't have the the oomph you know like when you see voyager you're like yeah you see the defiance like oh yeah that's quick and, and it's awesome discovery i never feel like that i guess because it's always just bouncing here and there and everywhere it never seems like there's much risk to being on it because you can always just bounce away um which is kind of too bad really Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, let's talk about Michael Burnham because I know you wanted to talk about her. And uh, <laughs> basically, she goes against orders a lot here. Um, the one is in... And she defies a lot of un, un you know, insurmountable odds. Right. Um, she basically... There's the episode where she rescues Book. Uh, that's the one with the team up with Georgia. Um And there's also the one um, where she gets the burn data from uh, Navarre. Um, and there's also the one where they go to Book's home planet. Um, I just, I know we already talked about it, but I, I feel like it's, it needs to be said is that at the beginning of this season, they made a specific point to say that Burnham has been living in the future for like, what is it? A year almost by the time discovery shows one, up one year. Yep. And yep. she's totally different. She's got different hair and her whole personality's changed. Like now that all that Vulcan stuff that everybody hated from the first couple seasons, like that stuff's all gone. Now she's cool and she's in tune with her emotions and she's like way better off. And then she does all the same stuff. She's she all does. chummy. She's chummy with the crew right. and cracking jokes, which she never did. Right. And then it's like, she just goes right back to being the same old, same old. Like it's, they just can't help it. Can they Matt? Like they, they have to have, Burnham be this and maybe this is just what the character is it's just somebody who you know just can't follow orders and will never follow orders and will just do whatever they want to but I mean it's also not super interesting those have to be probably the two worst episodes of the whole season really is the one where they go to rescue book and the one where they um, they go to um, books home planet like it's not as if it really made anything good it's those are like terrible well, yeah, it's, I mean, they try to make her more likable, but in the end, she's really, she hasn't changed that much. You know, right. she can be chummy and cracking jokes, but at the end of the day, she's still just like, I know better than everyone what should be done, so, and I'm just going to do it. If you don't like it, that's too bad. Right. And, um, like, like th this is like the total antithesis of what Star Trek is about. Right. At least I think so, right? Yeah. It's about, it's about facing a problem collaboratively you know using different skills from different people figuring out how are we going to solve this thing and then you know you you come to an agreement you figure out the best way to do it and you do it and in discovery it seems to be here's a problem burnham's going to figure out how to solve it and then she's going to do it all herself right and and if she has to disobey orders or if she has to step on someone's feet who cares? Yeah. It, you know, it's all about Michael Burnham. Right. Like, this was supposed to be the big reset, right? I think that nobody was really happy with where Discovery fit in the timeline. 
Um, I don't think people were super happy with the way the Klingons were. They weren't super happy um, with the Mirror Universe stuff. They weren't super happy with a lot of the stuff that we got in the first couple seasons. So then they were like, okay, you know what? We're just going to reset. We're going to do a complete redo. We're going to go into the future and everything's going to be different. But then we get the same old crap. And um, I think that that's one of the big problems is just the fact that, you know, we we have Burnham just doing all the same stuff she normally does while saying she's going to do something different, right? Like, that's kind of like the you got to kind of talk, walk the walk, not just talk the talk, right? Like, you, everybody has that friend who's always on the diet and they're always talking about the diet except for they eat McDonald's every day. <laughs> that's this, right? Um, I also kind of feel like the villains which was the Emerald Chain and Osira were pretty bad. Uh, I never felt like it was really going to come to any head. I never felt like they were super imposing or menacing or dangerous. It, it was mostly like get off the screen energy. And I mean, that Leland guy from the last season was garbage. And this is not much better. If, if the last season was garbage, this is compost. I found Osira to be like the most unimposing villain of all time like i i like you said you didn't feel like she she didn't seem dangerous she didn't seem uh imposing the way that she talked she was just like you know like just really snarky mm-hmm. and that doesn't really play well for me for a villain someone like remember that scene where she's sort of having that chat with tilly yep when Tilly was in command that was so bad it was like these two it was like two teenage girls like trading barbs at each other mean girls like is that like is exactly yes and is that like the level of like is that what we've sort of come to with our villains like these two putting saru in the burn book (laughs) (laughs) i don't just i found osira to be just so so like she she didn't seem like a, a villain she just seemed like someone who was mean and but but at the end of the day wasn't really you know, she would say she was all talk and no action. Yeah, she'd be fine as like a, a anyway. she'd be fine as like a villain of the week, right? If she was in one episode, nobody would say anything about it. But as like your main villain, that's going to be kind of always causing troubles throughout the season. She wasn't she wasn't enough, and like she would choke people. I guess was her her gimmick, right? But it, that was always so lame and cheesy. Like I never really felt like it was a big deal. So. Um, yeah. Well, and she got to be the leader of the Emerald Chain just by, like, you know, insulting people to death with, like, adolescent... Barbs, yeah. <laughs> barbs? Uh, I don't buy that for a second. Yeah. Well, maybe... Like, that... there, wasn't so, there wasn't someone along the way who was like, oh, yeah, well, uh, you know, let's have a fist fight and see what happens. And, right. You know, she went for the choke and missed, and that was it. Like, that... I don't know. It just... It seems very... Uh, just not a great villain. No. Okay, let's, uh, we have to do something positive here. Let's just kind of do a quick little detour over to the old Mirror Universe um, and just kind of talk about, you know, how that really ended up kind of being a bright spot in the season. And do you think that it works as a potential kind of pilot for the Section 31 stuff? Or do you think that they're going to just kind of use that as a way to write off Georgiou? Well, I think whether they're using it to write off George Zhao or use it as a pilot is remains to be seen. I mean, they've been talking about this Section 31 show for a couple of years now. I mean, I don't really know 
if it's actually going to happen or not. Um, but I guess what this episode does is it gives them some freedom as far as where it, like the time frame that it set, because once she went through the Guardian at the end, I mean, it could have sent her anywhere. Right. So in that sense, I guess it does work because it does allow them to place the show wherever they want to in, in terms of the timeline. And uh, I thought it was a pretty tolerable trip to the Mirror Universe. I mean, it was way... I thought it was much better than Season 1 Mirror Universe. Um, and like I said, this is where the the production values really give it a chance to 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 make it really good. The, the sets and the costumes were all great, the way they sort of redid them. And uh, it was kind of interesting to see how that whole thing worked from Giorgio's perspective. I really felt like Giorgio didn't really fit in in the this particular century. Like, they kind of... They did the whole um, Back to the Future 2 thing with her, right? Um, if you don't recall or don't pick up on that, that thing, one of the things that uh, the producers and the writers for Back to the Future said was that... Um, at the end of Back to the Future 1, the biggest regret was putting the girl in the car, right? It's going to be Michael J. Fox and um, uh, Emmett Brown. They jump in the car and they're going to drive off, right? Well, they didn't think they were going to do a sequel, so the girl is in the car. And then, of course, when they went to do the sequel, they had to figure out a way to and get the actress back and everything in order to make it work and to make it fit. And I kind of feel like that's what happened here with Georgiou is that she ends up going with them on the discovery into the future. And then when she shows up there, it's kind of like she has nothing to do. Like she's spends a lot of time just kind of mulling about and then she gets sick and she fights with Culber. And it's kind of like, I don't know. It, it, she didn't really have anything going on. And then it was a nice little send off for her to do this little mirror universe thing. And I, I think it was definitely the best part of the, the whole season. Um, and whatever they end up deciding to do with the Section 31 stuff, I just hope they get better writers. I don't really love Section 31. I think it's kind of bad. Um, I don't even like the Mirror Universe that much. So the, the fact that they're going to do a show that's a Mirror Universe character doing Section 31, ugh, I don't know about that. But um, maybe. If anybody can do it, it's Michelle Yeoh. So I'm hoping that that ends up being good. Um and I have very little faith that it will be if it's the same writers. Because after this episode, man, talk about Selma and Louising <laughs> it off the cliff. This just this just goes bad. There's just a nice push off the cliff. I mean, I th this is something that we've seen for the first couple of seasons. And even in Picard a little bit is that they really seem to have a, a tough time finishing off a season. You know, it's like they'll set up all this stuff that's actually kind of decent and engaging, and then they can't figure out how to finish it off. Right. You know, it's like, um, remember there was that, like, stretch, and I, uh, if you're not a basketball fan, this may not make any sense, but do you remember there was that, like, period of time, like, maybe four or five years ago, where the Raptors, they'd be really good for three quarters of the game, and then in the fourth quarter, they just had such a hard time if they were leading, they had a really hard time holding on to the lead and they were like winning these games that they should have been winning by like 20 points, by like two points, or they would be losing them. Right. That's exactly what we've got here by the by the way it seems is these writers, they just they, they get these interesting little pieces and they can't put them together at the end. Yeah, I, or yeah, that's a great analogy. Like the, the sports team that just can't, you know, put the nail in the coffin when they're up or, you know, can't come from behind. 
Um, to take another kind of analogy, is almost like uh, I don't know that they know what the ending entails. It almost feels as if they're kind of making it up as they're going along, and they are they're basically you know writing it like it's jazz, and they're just kind of beep bopping and, and scatting away, but they don't have like a finish to it. So they're coming up with these little ideas and they're kind of doing these little things, but there's never really like the big finale, you know, like the big drum solo to end it or the big, uh, you know, the high note that's going to kind of carry it off. They just kind of end up squeaking and squawking until the credits roll. And it never really has um, has a, a really satisfying conclusion. Um, and so, yeah, it's it. I, will they ever figure it out? I don't know. Um, but I mean, I guess to kind of just close off this section, um, the big build up, the big final fight and everything was very predictable. There was nothing really new. Michael Burnham saves the Federation, saves the day, wins the day. Um, and so we're kind of left probably where we should have maybe just started in the first place. We're a thousand years in the future. We've got Michael Burnham, Captain Extraordinaire. The Federation is in pieces and, you know, we're going to put the fate of the galaxy on one woman's shoulders in order to kind of save it all. What are your thoughts kind of on how this finishes? Well, it like crawled across the finish line. Um, Like you said, everything sort of in the final episode was pretty predictable. Um, You know, Saru is able to coax that Kelpie into, you know, put an end to that like uh, simulation. They, they swoop in at the very last possible second to rescue them as soon as, but just before the the ship that the simulation was being, was happening <laughs> on, like, completely disintegrated. Yeah. Um, you know, Burnham and Osira had their big showdown and, you know, it looked like Burnham was, like, done for and then comes out of nowhere and blows Osira's, I don't know if she shot her in the head or, or what, but. I don't know. There was nothing here that I looked that I thought was. Oh, and the other thing you'll remember that I predict that I called uh, the Navarre fleet swooping in to save the day because Burnham had that. Yeah. Uh, like clandestine call to her mother for help yep. in the previous episode. Yep. And but they ended up they ended up not really doing anything. We barely even saw what the ships looked like. Um, so yeah, like it, the the ending was just so predictable and it was not that you know satisfying or or that great and it was even worse that burnham somehow was made captain of the ship yeah the only thing that i will say and i'll reveal it now is that my favorite 30 seconds of the entire season was the last 30 seconds and i know what you're gonna say and you 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 don't need to because i know it i'm I, i can hear myself saying it but this is just where it should have been all along. And not only that, I actually kind of like the new uniforms. They're like the gray ones with like the red or the different colored stripes. We finally get like pips on the on the collar that we can identify who is the captain, who is the second officer, who is the ensign, everything like that. There is at least a sliver of hope. That the fourth season will literally just be like, hey, let's go to Cardassia. What's happening here? Oh, hey, let's go to Bajor. What's happening here? Let's go to here and check out what's happening on um, wherever. 
Uh, that was the only thing that I liked. And also because when it was over, that I didn't have to watch it anymore. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the the Burnham saves the day. Burnham is the best. Burnham is the greatest. I think it's a lot more palpable when she's the captain. And so I feel like the way that they ended it was probably the way that they should have just started with right from the beginning, which was to just make her the captain right from the beginning. And it could be kind of like Janeway to the max. And and we could have just had that. But, yeah, other than that, I felt like the, the whole ending was 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 kind of junk. Let's move on to uh, your second favorite part of these uh, season reviews, which is the love them, hate them section, which is where uh, I've chosen uh, ten of the new characters that we uh, that we get, and uh, we'll each state whether we love them or hate them. So we'll uh, we'll start with the most significant of the new characters, and that is Book uh, Booker. Uh, what did you think? Love them or hate them? Uh, you know what? I it's gonna be surprising. I'm gonna say hate him, uh, and it's not even anything that he necessarily. It's not that he's bad or that it's anything that I really truly hate. It's just that there's nothing there enough to make me love him. He doesn't really do anything, and all the episodes that he's in are boring. So unfortunately, he didn't add anything for me. That's gonna be a hate. What about you? Uh, I'm gonna say love him. I, I thought oh, okay. there was he had this sort of mysticism about him, mm-hmm. and. He, he came in handy because he's been around for a while. He's grown up in this environment, so he sort of knows what's going on. Um, and I think there's enough interesting parts there that they can sort of expand on to make him a, sort of an interesting character going forward. So I, 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 didn't, I didn't have any problems with Book. Okay. Uh, let's move on to Aditya Sahil. And just to remind you, he was that guy that was sort of living on that like communications thing in the beginning and then he sh- he had that one scene in the final episode as well um yeah i i mean this this one's kind of tough because you don't see him much but uh what do you think love him or hate him uh i hated that that is the dumbest thing in the world to have a guy answering <laughs> getting up to the same alarm every day and then just sitting at a desk waiting for somebody to show up i think that's stolen from somewhere too um i think it's in like hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy or something like they literally stole that exact gimmick or maybe it was another sci-fi show uh yeah that's just stupid i that was dumb and then have him yeah i don't even want to go into it that's just terrible what about you um i'm it's tough because he's not really in it much but i'm gonna say hate him just because i thought that that was kind of a silly thing to have this guy waking up every day and like checking the communications and then just sort of sitting around twiddling his thumbs like doesn't he have something better to do yeah, exactly. So I, don't know. I thought exactly. it was just kind of a silly thing. Um, anyways, moving along to uh, Adira Tall, which is actually probably the next, the next most prominent of the new characters. Do you love or hate uh, Adira Tall? Uh, I kind of want to go in the middle here. Like I don't feel one way or another. I don't really think there was anything too amazing there. I didn't think that. I thought the actress did pretty well, or the actor did pretty well, but I don't know that it was anything really that interesting it's kind of a bit of a i don't know kind of a bit of a letdown i'm gonna say love but it's really more like tolerate what about you (laughs) fair enough i'm kind of in the same boat like i think there's like like book i think there's sort of room for this character to grow and i i feel like they are going to be a significant part of the show going forward um I'm kind of on the fence, but I'm going to say love him just because 
there's not really any reason to dislike the character. I mean, it, it, she's or they are kind of like the the child genius because I think the character yes. is only supposed to be like a teenager, right? So, yeah. um, it, almost like a Wesley Crusher kind of thing. Um, but I don't know. I think there's room for the character to 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 grow and to become more interesting. So, yeah. Uh, let's move on to Adira's boyfriend, Gray Tall. Uh, love him or hate him? I hated this. I didn't really understand who they were, uh, whether they were a figment of the imagination, what they were supposed to be, if they were supposed to be a pa- I, I Maybe I missed a big piece of it, but whenever they were talking about, like, when's Gray coming back? Oh, I miss when Gray was around. It made me want to take a sledgehammer and just destroy my television and never watch it again so that is a severe severe hate okay i wasn't a big fan of gray either um it was kind of an odd thing like like you said it was a little bit confusing because i thought that when adira went into the pool at trill and sort of worked all that stuff out like it was she was supposed to be able to access the memories of the previous hosts and that was it right this you know, but Gray kind of lingered around in her head for some reason, and mm-hmm. that wasn't really explained all that well. So, and, and I just, I didn't really find the character all that interesting. Also, wasn't either, this supposed so. was this supposed to be the admiral who also knew where everything was? Yes, but they're yeah, also like the other, twelve years one of old. The other, yeah, one, well, no, one of the other previous hosts. No, no, Gray wasn't supposed to be the admiral. Oh, okay. There was a different previous host. I think the one before Gray was the Admiral. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that would, that would be kind of funny if Gray was supposed to be the Admiral. And he's like, you know, 20 years old. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move on to Admiral Vance. Uh, what did you think of Admiral Vance? Love him or hate him? I love Vance. I think that that is not only a character <clears throat> that was had some good lines and had a good look and a good kind of feel, but I also kind of think that this is somebody in the future that we're going to see again and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I love Vance. That's a, that was one of the, the pluses for the, the season. Yeah, I think Vance was probably the character that I liked the most of the new ones that we got this season. I thought that he, uh, like you said, he kind of had that look, you know, the sort of grizzled veteran kind of look. You know, he's got like some of the gray in the beard and in the hair. And, uh, yeah, as an admiral, I thought he was good. Um when Discovery first sort of appeared, he was pretty, he was you know cautious, but he eventually sort of won was won over um, to them, and he gave them a reasonable chance to prove themselves. So I, I thought he was pretty good as an admiral. So I definitely will give a uh, solid love for Admiral Vance. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about Kovic, the sort of enigmatic uh, Kovic? Love him or hate him? This is uh, David Cronenberg, right? That's right. Yeah, yes. you gotta love Cronenberg. Uh, it's just, I think it's a requirement if you're Canadian as well. So, yeah, that's just a love. Um, it wasn't in the ton, and I hope we get more of them in the future. We don't really learn anything about them, but sometimes less is more, and that's an absolute love for me. Yeah, he had that sort of intrigue about him because we don't really know who he is, like what his role is. Uh, they don't really explain it that much. Um, he seemed to know a lot about kind of like covert operations, so maybe mm-hmm. he's sort of like the head of intelligence or something, but I, I, I certainly hope that we will find out. I quite enjoyed Kovic and uh, yeah, no, no problems at all with Kovic. So love him for Kovic. Uh, next is Rin. Uh, what did you think of Rin? The uh, Endorian that we uh, sort of kept running into love him or hate him. Yeah, I hated that guy again. Anytime he showed up, it was kind of boring and 
It was really kind of confusing as to how he was tied in, and they didn't do a very good job developing him at all. It's got to be a hate. Yeah, ditto. I, I didn't really feel all that attached to him either. Like, when he got blown away in the second last episode, I was just sort of, like, shrugged my shoulders, and I was like, oh, well, that kind of sucks, but, you know, poor guy. But I, I didn't really feel much uh, connection to Rin at all. It, no. He just was there. Uh, next, I think I already know what you're going to say about Osira, but uh, did you love her or hate her? No, I hate Osira. It, it's, she'd be fine for a villain of the week. I actually like that actress. Did you know that it was Margot Kidder's um, niece, I think? I did not. Yeah, Margot Kidder, who, of course, was Lois Lane in all the original Superman movies. Uh, so it's her niece, hmm. which is kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, the character herself, that was a big old hate for me. What about you? Uh, much the same. Uh, we already kind of talked about Osira being a very kind of not a great villain, not really imposing and just kind of snarky and likes to, you know, be catty and that's about it. So yeah, not not a big fan of Osira. Uh, next is Aurelio, which was that uh, like human scientist that I think was in the last two episodes. Uh, love him or hate him? Oh, the guy in the wheelchair. That's right, yes. Yeah, I don't know where that guy came from, how he got there, why he was in a wheelchair. I know nothing about him. Just one day, like one, like I think it was like the last episode, he just like rolled onto screen and started talking and he was like teamed up with Osira or something and that was so terribly done. Maybe I missed an episode actually because – like, I do not know where that guy came from. He just showed up, and it was almost like uh, he just rolled onto the set, and nobody noticed, and they are just like, yeah, okay, film him. <laughs> um, yeah, hate that guy. Get him off. Get him out of there. He's I, I, That was weird, actually. What about you? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Aurelio either. Like, uh, like you said, he just... I think in one episode they mentioned that his wife was Orion, okay. and maybe that's how he ended up being... But he he seemed so out of place because he wasn't he didn't have that like sort of sinister maniacal villainous vibe to him. He was just sort of like a guy that was there, okay. and yeah, I don't know that he he just seemed so out of place to me. You know, he didn't have you know how like the uh, villains in like you know the James Bond movies they'll always have right. that like sort of sidekick scientist yeah. who's like you know who's who's crooked. Yeah, hundred percent. But really, but really smart. You know. Um, he didn't, I didn't get that vibe from him at all. He seemed like just this sweet human scientist guy who was there for no reason. Yeah, it's, uh, like I said, I, I don't even really know when they introduced him. So that says a lot about how much impact he had. Yeah, exactly. All right. Finally, uh, Zeray, mm -hmm. uh, who was that like, uh, sort of henchman guy the that muscle. was in the second episode and yeah. then he was in the last two episodes. Uh, what did you think of Zeray? He reminded me a lot of remember the remember the Batman from 1989 and the Joker had that henchman uh, who I can't yeah, yeah. think of his name at the moment, but he kind of reminded me of that guy, but like not good. Uh, so I'd have to say this has got to be a hate. I didn't think that they did a very good job with any of the side characters or any of the main characters for that matter. Um, so <laughs> I think that this has got to be a hate and it's almost one of those things where I can't even really, I can't even say why it's just, it's not really, it's just not a good character. It's not interesting. It's not, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, ugh, it's just bad. Um, he's like Bob the goon. That was that guy's name, Bob the goon. Uh, but mm -hmm. not good. So yeah, hate for me. Yeah, I don't know. He had this weird fixation with Tilly, 
which I don't get. Um, and he's much like Osiris. He's always like getting snit, you know, snarky and, you know, making, uh, you know, hurling insults at people. He didn't really seem that physically imposing to me for a, no. like a muscle guy. And he seemed really old. Yeah. Like, I feel like I could beat him in a fight. And I mean, <laughs> I'm not like, like, I feel like, like, and I'm not a martial artist or anything like that. I don't do that in like my spare time. But I feel like I could like fight that guy and probably win. Yeah, that's not the that's not the thing they were going with. So that that definitely failed in that respect. Yeah, I would say so for sure. All right, let's move on to just some general character discussion. Now we've already talked a little bit about Michael Burnham and this odd transformation that she underwent during the year that she was in the thirty second century all by herself. Uh, do, do you really buy this? I mean, you've already kind of talked about it a little bit, but. Uh, uh, the one, Are you buying what they're selling? Yeah, the one thing that I do like about it is just the idea that I think that everybody is trying to better themselves. You know, we're kind of in the middle of January here, and a lot of New Year's resolutions have probably been thrown by the wayside. But it's a very human thing to always trying to be get a little bit better. And we don't usually change that much, or the change is very slow. And so I do kind of like the fact that you know, Michael Burnham seemed like she was going to try to turn a new leaf once Discovery showed up and she was going to be different. But then it was just like back to the same old, same old. Uh, that being said, I don't think that they really thought ahead that far and, you know, beautifully crafted something that is uh, intended to kind of evoke that emotion. I'm pretty sure they just don't know how to write out write themselves out of problems other than just like, well, Burnham will do it or Burnham will figure it out. So I don't think that the transformation really worked. And I also kind of feel like Michael Burnham, for all the bad things that she's done, has never really ever had her comeuppance. She's never been really knocked down a peg and stayed there. You know, she was the mutineer and then she was going to go to prison and they bailed her out. And then, uh, you know, she, in this season, it was more about how, you know, she got demoted down and then next thing you know she's the captain it's just like she never really goes very long with being punished i guess what are your thoughts on this whole burnham transformation well i thought the fact that she <clears throat> suddenly became much more personable and was joking around like that seemed completely like a 180 from what we had before and i don't understand how being in this awful disjointed really like tough future would have made, turned her into that if anything i feel like it would have made her pushed her more toward this sort of stoic vulcan type that we saw early on because you know you gotta survive like how much you know do you really is is life really so great that you can be like sitting around putting your feet up and just joking around and goofing off and, and all that like I, don't, I feel like the future that they've they've portrayed to us doesn't really lend to someone becoming a lot more lighthearted and jovial. Well, I think that you have segued nicely because love is the answer. Uh, and I think that they're trying, <laughs> there we go. They're trying to tell us that this book character and the romance that they have kind of budded over the course of the year, they're, they're couriers together and you know, they're, they're, you know, right hand man and right hand woman. And, it's it's going to be they've fallen in love with each other and this is the thing that has kind of melted her cold heart uh but i don't know that you can do that um 
I agree with you 100%. This is not really the world that you would think would kind of be the type of place you can kind of kick your feet up. Uh, it seems a bit more harsh. Uh, and I think that, you know, didn't they establish that she's basically been training to be like a motionless Vulcan style since childhood? You know, like you never really saw Spock change his colors or, you know, change his ways. He It's... It kind of goes against what we know about Vulcans and people who kind of believe in that logic lifestyle. Well, yeah, exactly. And if we're going to sort of move on to Burnham and books like romance, one thing we've mentioned in other podcasts is this sort of weird thing where people like try to keep it quiet or keep it secret. Right. And they sort of did at the beginning. And then all of a sudden they were much more open about it towards the end, which I thought was kind of odd. Uh, now, do you feel like Book is like an appropriate or, or a reasonable love interest for Michael Burnham? Because they seem like complete opposites. Um, yes and no, I guess. I mean, obviously, they are are both kind of, uh, I don't want to say hot-headed, but they're both kind of do-what-you-want kind of mentality. They They both seem to be very good at being couriers and they have this weird rapport this weird relationship where you know they want to be part of the team but they don't really want to follow all the rules you know what i mean it's like if you ever played you know junior hockey or something there's 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 always that one kid that just kind of wants to take the puck and go for the breakaway all the time but then they'll be upset when they when you nobody passes to them right uh that's kind of like the way that both these characters are i find that they they beat to the sound of their own drum, but they so desperately need the admiration and, and the and the benefit of of the ship and of the crew members. Like they so badly want to be part of it, uh, and especially with Burnham, because like everybody left for her sake, right? She was going to do it alone, and they all gave up their families, their friends, everything to go with her. And so I feel like she almost feels obligated to join in, and Book seems obligated to join for other reasons. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, as far if you if we're going to talk about them as like both being sort of rule breakers and sort of do what they want, then yeah, I guess they're made for each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, the the need for uh, yeah, the the need for them to fit in as well, it seems kind of counterintuitive to what they're what they do and how they like the fact that they like we said were they're they sort of just do what they want. They, you know, if the rules don't really jive with what they're trying to accomplish, then they'll just ignore them and just do what they want. And that seems kind of odd that they would want to fit in with a Starfleet crew, which is, you know, built on protocol and regulations. It just seems like kind of an odd thing. Can't really have one without the other, I don't think. Here's a, a maybe a, a little deeper question, okay? Do you think that the writers know how long a thousand years is? <laughs> because if we're really kind of talking, if we're talking about this in terms of, you know, like really get into the nuts and bolts of it, do you think that a relationship between two people that are from a thousand years difference would really be, is that even a possible thing? Like even just think about like if you went back a hundred years, would you really be able to fall in love or to even really be able to interact in any kind of meaningful way with somebody from like the night, like 1900? I think it would be extremely difficult. Yes. Well, well, not only that, but your, your, your morals, like the sense of like what is appropriate and what is, um, 
accepted is so different, right? Like think about how much like racism and sexism and like, I mean, a hundred years ago for us is like, you know, basically the end of the wild, wild west. And, you know, if you went back in time, I don't think that you would fit in at all. And I think if you took somebody from 1900 and brought them into today's standards, they wouldn't fit in because you'd be like, you're so out of touch. Like you, the things that you believe and think are so out of bounds at this point that if you were to now multiply that by 10, like a thousand years, I can't f believe that they would have anything in common at all. Just as like a, just as like evolution that goes. Yeah, it's true. I mean, imagine if we got thrown into the 24th century into like the next generation time and be like, hey guys, what's your favorite movie? They'd be like, what the heck is it? What's a movie? Right. Yeah. And that was always kind they of. They wouldn't even know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's only a, a couple hundred years. It's a thousand years. Like, I think that I've also read that like, um, I mean, language changes so dramatically over time that like, I don't even know that they would speak the same language. I guess the universal translator would would kind of account for that. But um, yeah, I, I have a hard time believing that they would would fit in. And I almost think that that would have been a better story. You know, can you imagine if like Discovery shows up to the Federation and they're like, you guys are literally driving around in a piece of junk. You, your, your, your thoughts and morals and ideas about the way that the universe is and the galaxies are so outdated that like you guys need to just leave. And that would be such an interesting idea because I think it could kind of fit more with how we live our lives now today, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting to think how, how much things might change in a thousand years. Yeah, I wish we had gotten that in the show. That, in, indeed, yes. That would have been, that would have been nice. But let's move on to probably one of the most outlandish and unbelievable things that took place in this season, and that is... Ensign Tilly, I would like to emphasize the word ensign mm -hmm. here, was made the acting first officer. Is that even remotely believable to you? This 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 is this this is one of those little well not little things, but this is one of those sort of nagging things that really dragged the quality of the season down for me. Well, that's never happened to you at your work, Matt, where like somebody who just started gets a promotion ahead of you. Like the they they take the janitor and promote them because. Uh, They've got a lot of gumption and grit. That's never happened? No. Uh, yeah. The only thing I think more ridiculous than Tilly becoming the first officer is how everybody else just swallows it up like a dog crap sandwich. You know? Like, nobody even <laughs> bats an eye. They're just like, yeah, okay. Like, the first officer, like, literally the second most important position on the ship. Like, yeah, no worries. Like all the people who, who, who are on the ship and, and they're just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Sounds good. And of course, well, yeah, they were like, they were like literally cheering yeah. and like clapping their hands and being like, yes, do it. Right. Take the, take the job. But see the thing that I think that they don't realize, and this is the writers I'm speaking about now is that that just makes me feel like, well, you know what? Like if these guys don't care, I don't care. Obviously none of this is serious. It's all just a big joke and, it's kind of like everybody gets an opportunity to sit on the in the chair and be part of it. Like they can't even make it like um, like even half reasonable because I always kind of thought that remember uh, the night crew, they allowed Harry Kim to kind of be the acting like leader captain, I guess, during the night shift. Do you remember that yep. in Voyager? Yep. 
Yeah, I do. But yeah. the thing was, was that like, yeah, he was an ensign, but he had kind of like earned that position just because of the fact that he had gone on so many high caliber missions. He had done so many great things. And just the fact that he was like a senior officer, right? It was almost kind of like throwing him a bone. But like if the Borg had shown up, it's like, okay, yeah, like get Janeway back out here, guys. Uh, and I think that that's a bit more believable. And I think it's, it kind of let you into a little bit of how the whole dynamic worked. Uh, this is like, you know, somebody writing it on the internet, right? Like this is fan fiction, isn't it? Well, let's take a look at Tilly's career path. So she, she was like three years in the Academy. She was like given a field commission of Ensign during that war because it was like extenuating circumstances. She somehow manages to join the command training program, which I think is an outlandish concept in itself mm. of like taking someone who is literally out of the academy and being like, oh, yes, you are fast track command material. Yeah. We need to give you in a special program. Like, how can they know that after someone is finished in the academy? Mm -hmm. But anyways, OK, so that happens. And then she becomes acting first officer like like what a year later. It's yeah. ridiculous. It doesn't, it doesn't, it is not even remotely believable. And the worst, the other worst, the other thing about Tilly is like, what, they didn't do anything with her character other nope. than that over the whole season. Nope. That's what I mean. I think that like, the I, whatever, I mean, it's, it's, it's maybe getting a little gripey, but like, essentially, if you're a big fan of Star Trek, you look at like Ensign Kim, Lieutenant Paris, Lieutenant Spock in the original series. You look at every character that we've seen and how many years, literally years, that they had to be working in the lower ranks in order to make their way up to Captain Sulu, for that matter. Um, the fact that they just give it to Tilly, well, whatever, you've been here like a month, I guess. So, yeah, you can be the first officer. It kind of craps on those characters for me, you know? Like, how long was Spock until he became a captain in, um, what is it, I guess, Wrath of Khan? Wrath of Khan, yeah. Yeah, so how, how many years did he work before he got to that spot? Well, even you mentioned Lieutenant Paris. Remember, he got demoted. Right. It was one, he was an ensign for a year right. before they said, okay, we're going to put you back where you were. And then he stayed there for the rest of the series. Right. That's what I mean. It's... Right? Yeah. And so, and, and in the same amount of time, Tilly has gone from a cadet to first officer, <laughs> basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's just, I don't really know who that was for. I, I don't know that Tilly has a huge following of fans, but man, is it ever just like, I mean, at that point too, it was, the season had started to really like grow long on me and it was just like, oh, of course, now Tilly's going to be the leader and it's going to be a disaster. And then, of course, it was. Speaking of, uh, you know, long, painful things. So <laughs> I, I want to know how how is it that Stamets is actually Starfleet officer? Because all he does, he's just like this curmudgeon crybaby. He's yeah. always like in a bad mood when he's working, he, when he's off duty and he's like hanging out with Culber or like mingling with the crew. He seems like he's great, you know, having a great time and really happy. And then as soon as he like enters engineering, he just turns into this, you know, curmudgeon -y, you know, gripey. Seems like he wants to be anywhere in the universe, but that engine room. Like what? Like what is his deal? Like why is he even a, a like why is he even voluntarily continuing on as a Starfleet officer? Because he seems like he hates it. Yeah, and the thing is, I think they screwed up with him was the fact that he's not actually the head engineer. Like we never actually found out who that was, right? 
That's right. We've yeah, never he's just sort of like the scientist yeah. slash engineer. They've never yeah. actually mentioned that person or showed that person or even shown the main engine, even though that there's been lots of times where Stamets hasn't been able to uh, use the spore drive. Um, I think that the Stamets character, he kind of became like the leader of the outcasts this season as well. He takes Adira under his wing and he kind of takes Jet Reno under his wing. Uh, and of course him and Culber, I guess are back, back together now. So it's going to be this like hodgepodge of, of people that are like a little bit on the outs. And I don't know that I think that's a good idea. Like there's something that is, and I, I don't know, I don't want to offend anybody and I don't want to upset anybody, but like, there's something that seems a little bit off about taking all the gay characters and I guess Adira is a non-binary character um, and making like a little group or a little clan of of them. Uh, I think that would be kind of fine in today's like a TV show to set today. But I would have to think that in a thousand years, like being gay or being non-binary or, or, or being different wouldn't really even be on anybody's radar anymore you know what i mean like i don't know that you would have to have like a group of all the gay people as like a faction down in the engineering at this stage i almost kind of think it would be so you know readily known and, and so it had been around for so long and accepted for so long that it wouldn't even be something that people would mention talk about people wouldn't be ostracized anymore like don't you think that we would have progressed like, if you think even just how far we've progressed in the last 50, 100 years, like, in another 1,000 years, I don't think it would be an issue at all. Or is that... Uh, well, I would I would hope not. Yeah, like, <laughs> especially for Star Trek, right? Like, I don't... Like, is that kind of... Like, you know what I'm kind of saying? How they've kind of paired up all those, like, that four or five group of people? Yeah. Um, they sort of have put them all in their own little group, which I never... Uh, to be honest, I didn't really think of it... It, it didn't really occur to me that much over the course of the season as I was watching but now that you mention it yeah I guess they do kind of all hang out together like I, I feel like there was even that one scene where they're all sort of gathered together in the room and Adira's like you know clinging to, to Stamets mm -hmm. and he even I think either him or Culber I can't remember who it was even said to them you know they're they're your friends too or whatever or, or you this these are you're part of this crew too like you can go hang out with other people and she seemed kind of shy about it yeah and the, the, the i didn't actually notice it at all until the very last episode where um like i guess gray can only exist in the uh hollow suites and so then when he's gonna like disappear adira and uh culber he he's like i'm gonna bring him into the group you know he's gonna be part of the family and they and like you said they had like the big hug and they get back to engineering and they kind of do the same thing and it's literally Stamets, Reno, uh, Gray, Adira, and Culber, and they are all grouped together. And it just felt to me like, I don't know that you need to, to do that. I liked it a lot better in the first season when it was like a little bit more subtle and it was just kind of like, yeah, this is just an accepted thing. Like these two are in a relationship, they're gay, no big deal. It's in the future, nobody even bats an eye about it. That to me is the way to do it rather than actively trying to make it seem like they needed to all like support each other and be together in that way i don't know I, I maybe i'm off off kilter here i'm probably offending everybody but i just i don't know i didn't i don't think you needed to do that i think you could have just had them out doing their own things and it would have been fine yeah i i, 
Yeah, that's kind of a tricky one to, to go after because, yeah, I, I mean, I see what you're saying that why would you, if you want them to be accepted into the group, why would you have them off on their own all the time? Right. It just doesn't really, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. And I totally agree that in the first season when it was just Stamets and Culbert and no one said a word, it was, it was no big deal. It was just two people that loved each other. That's the way, you, that, you know, that to me is is more the way to do it. Right. It's like, imagine if you had like, you know, the there was like three or four like black characters and they only hung out with each other and they were only in engineering. You'd be like, oh, shouldn't those guys like be out with some of the other characters sometimes? Like it would just, it would seem weird. And that's how it feels to me. It's like, I never really felt like they've done that in Star Trek before where there's like a little kind of subgroup of of people like you obviously have like close friendships and stuff but this was kind of like a really like tight-knit group between Stamets, Culber, Reno and then the two uh Trill characters is like they spend a lot of time together and not only that but they become very um they become very close like it's like a little like almost like a clique actually is kind of how I felt like I felt like these characters were were kind of like a little clique and I didn't really ever think of any times where like Burnham or anybody else was really interacting with that group it was just always kind of felt like it was them well except that episode when they go to Trill and Burnham was oh, like yeah, exactly joking around with a deer in the corridor right you know? true good point good point <laughs> anyways yeah that, that was kind of an odd choice to have them all sort of grouped together uh, let's move along to Saru because uh, I feel like he was the only character that I thought really had a great bit of development in the season and I actually thought it was good for the exact opposite reason of Tilly because it actually was believable. Yeah, I think you're going to have to maybe go a little deeper here, man, because I don't necess- I don't agree. I don't really know what his arc was, what how he changed and I'm I I I see you written it down here and I'm I don't know that I'm following. So so what, what what development do you see Saru having this season? Well, I think maybe this season was sort of the end of it. But during the second season, after he sort of figured out that the Vahari was actually more like a Kelpian puberty, I guess, mm-hmm. where he, the, the threat ganglia disappear and he turns into a more predatory character. And I feel like that was sort of the beginning of a transformation into a character that was... Uh, more confident and was and slowly became better suited towards being a captain and in this season there were times when I, he reminded me almost of captain picard with his sort of diploma diplomatic and ne- negotiating skills I, I think of that episode uh when they go to navarre where you know he was sort of sweet talking that that vulcan representative who wanted nothing to do with the discovery um, so that's sort of what I looked at as Saru's development. I mean, I feel like he was quite well suited to be the captain sort of by the early parts of the season. And if you'd asked me, if you told me in, at the beginning of season one that he was going to eventually be the captain, I would have told you you were insane. Uh, I see what you're saying. The only thing that I don't like about Saru and the part that kind of just is in, in counter to what you're saying is that there's too many times where Burnham, Vance, uh, you know, a lot of the characters, I mean, Burnham is the worst case of it, where he'll say something and they'll just do the opposite. Or, like, there's a scene, I think it's in the first or second episode, where uh, Saru is giving orders and Burnham is literally giving other orders and they're following her orders. And uh, to me, that just is, it kind of goes against what we've established, right? Because he was limited to his fear in the first season. 
one of the reasons why he couldn't really get past being uh, you know, a commander was because he couldn't make the tough call, the tough decision. And it was the fear that was driving him. And then in the second one, he got rid of the fear and then he had no fear. So then it was like he was the perfect opportunity to become a captain. But then it was kind of like in this season, I guess they were trying to find the balance, right? Like, you know, when is the good thing? But then you have a lot of times where Burnham are like, yeah, Saru, he can't make the tough call like I can. And, you know, Saru, he's not going to be able to, to do it. So I better go in and do it. And I think that that really took away from him. Like, if you don't have Michael Burnham in this season, I 100% agree. Saru is great. But I think that Burnham spends a little bit too much time kind of like knocking down that development that Saru is is gaining, if, if that makes sense. Well, that's a, that's a flaw of the writing, I right. think, because they've right. decided to focus everything and anything on Michael Burnham. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I guess that is true that he did often get overruled um by burnham and i think there were you're right there were a few instances where vance sort of lay down the law but i don't know i still think that he there was some development there and yeah it was kind of overshadowed by michael burnham but then again everything in this show is overshadowed by michael burnham and i guess yes the other last kind of piece though too is just that like what was his reward for for all this great development and becoming such a great captain losing the captaincy well, that, that's, a, that's a point that I had sort of later on in this section here that we can chew on. Right. Um, I felt that Culber, even though he was maybe not in it a oh, super huge amount, I feel like when he was in in the show, he's, he seemed like a very strong character. I don't. Do you agree with that? Yeah, for some reason, it's. I think that we talked about this. We had a second season episode, I want to say, like in last this season of RTR and Culber. Or no, it was the first season one, and Culber was really strong. Uh, and I feel like that really continued on here. And I'm not sure whether it's just kind of like the actor kind of powering through the writing because there's there was a couple of moments, especially in the whole hollow deck thing, where he's reading off lines that literally make absolutely no sense and are just completely ridiculous. But he kind of has it in a certain way, like a certain swagger that, that kind of, um, I don't know, you can kind of like look past it, I guess. Um, but yeah, I would say that he's the strongest of the main characters in the sense that it seems like he's, he's pretty consistent. Like it doesn't change a lot. I, I still don't know that we really have gotten the full conclusion to him being, uh, remember how he was like in that, uh, nebula or not the nebula, but like the, the spores and everything. And then he had to be like reborn. I don't know that we've really kind of seen the conclusion of that. And like, he broke up with Stamets, but now they're back together. Like he's the strongest character, but I, I still don't know that I would say that he's the best character or that I, I really, feel like he made huge huge uh strides what did you feel about in terms of what he did well when i say strong i mean like strong willed okay like yeah. i'm not saying sure. like he's the best character or the most interesting character but i've and we talked about it as you said in a previous rtr podcast that you know he's not someone who who will back down when he thinks that what he's doing is right right okay he'll he'll stand up for what he believes like that's sort of what i meant and i thought that that came through in this season, um, especially there were all these times when 
Stamets was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, you know, even though someone orders him to do something, he's like, I don't want to do this. And Culber would be, or or when Culber was going to go to that uh, that planet in the nebula, and it, Stamets is like, no, you can't go. It's too dangerous. Yeah. What if something happens? And Culber's like, dude, it, it's my job. I have to go. Right. Like, too bad. You're going to have to get over it and just trust that I'm going to be able to look after myself. And that's something that I feel like has been very consistent throughout the series with Colbert. Right. And I think that that's part of the reason, like when we talked about season one, they never should have killed him. They should have just left him and they should have, you know, maybe even potentially put a bit more spotlight on him because I find him to be a character that I can relate to, you know, enjoy watching him. And I feel like, like you said, the biggest thing is, is it's consistent. It's not like all over the place, like some of the other characters. So I would agree with you. Culber is, is, is slowly becoming one of my favorite characters on the show. Well, and you actually care about him. Exactly. Yes. Because he is strong, but he doesn't, he, he doesn't sort of push that strength at the expense of other people. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that I, I actually find him to be pretty, pretty good to watch um he's been one of the 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 bright spots throughout the throughout the run of the show so far i I think anyway yeah no i i agree with you 100 percent. now other the other end of it and the ones that i don't know i can necessarily say have been a strong point (laughs) is the bridge crew at large so this would be um like can you name them i can name some of them (laughs) so you've got kayla dedimer You've got O, who's like Owara Jingo. Those are the two con people. Um, there's like the white guy, the Asian guy, um, Non. Would that be one of them, I guess? But she leaves. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't. Jet Reno, I guess. Is that one? Like I. Well, she's more of like in the in the engine room. Yeah, like the actual. Like I know what you're talking about. I I don't know that I know their names. No. Do you feel any better about them this season than they did last season? Well, I mean, last season they had that ridiculous, ridiculous um, uh, scene where they were like, roll call. And then it was like, Kayla Dedimer, pilot. I'm Joanne Osokun, co-pilot. It was like, oh, Oh, yeah, Yeah, that was cringe. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of them. I just looked it up. Do, Do you want to see if you can try to guess any or no? I'm not even going to embarrass. I'm not going to embarrass myself by attempting. Okay. Well, there is Kyla Denimer. That's one. Um, There is Jen Reese. I think that's kind of the Asian guy who's always like, they always check him to do the sensors. Uh, You have Osun Kun. Uh, You have R.A. Bryce, who I think that's the white guy. Sarah Milch plays a character named Nilsson. I think she was the one with kind of like the, she has blonde hair and and bangs. Uh, and then you have somebody named Tracy Pollard, who I think that might be the doctor, like not uh, Culber, but the other doctor. Yeah. Um, and then Linus is the guy who is like the lizard who like he always sneezes and stuff. So, um, yeah, yep. that's pretty sad that we can't name them, especially since like, you know, if you went to the next generation, you could start naming off like characters that were on one episode. Um, that kind of says a lot, doesn't it? It's true. Yep. It's, uh, I mean, we only get the like looks of like fear or exasperation or, uh, you know, whenever something bad happens. Well, and That's so, we really yes. Get. And the other thing, again, just kind of talking about cliques and this is, this is just should never happen. Right. And this is like any time that those minor characters do something, they seem to always do it together. 
like at the end of this series where they were all going to take the bomb down and it was like the four or five nameless people that I just mentioned, right? Or like when there's a lunch crew happening, it's like those guys are always sitting at the table, but like very rarely do you ever see that much interaction. Like maybe Tilly will come over or Jet Reno maybe will come over for like a, a snack or something, but like for the most part, they're so obviously like minor characters that it's almost laughable. Like when Saru had to do like the introductory dinner and was basically going around like grandfather being like, what have you been up to Detimer? Like, are you still working on that medieval times project? Like that is getting to be pretty sad, isn't it? Yes. Uh, yeah. It's pretty bad that after three years, we still need to have uh, grandfather Saru. <laughs> Telling us who everybody is. Exactly. All right. We did talk about Adira and Gray a little bit. Uh, what did you think overall of those two? Like, I mean, they are kind of a package deal, I guess, because the Gray is in Adira's head. Uh, well, it, what so, do you think about those yeah, two? Yeah. I mean, I just thought this was horrible. But um, I think that. Uh, Remember that episode with uh, Jadzia where she goes and like once a year or every few years or something, you can have all of the old Trill symbiotes come and you could like actually see them. It was like a ceremony. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I do remember. So yeah. I'm pretty sure what they were trying to kind of get at is that like something happened and this gray character was like really closely tied to Adira for some reason. And so like that she basically like never left or something. Is that is that kind of what the gray character is? Yeah, it's well, they, they, it was her boyfriend, right? And I think that's why the connection was there, right? And so, like, the Adira was dating this guy, and he died to so put the symbiote in her. But because of whatever, there's kind of like she's having a hard time dealing with it. That part I didn't mind so much, but it was just so infrequent, like they would basically never mention this guy for like three or four episodes. And then there'd be an episode where Adira would be like, I just miss gray. And then Samus would be, would come in and go, we're going to find him. Don't worry. And it's like, wait, how do you even know who that is? And you know what I mean? Like it was so in like, and then at the end when they go into the hollow suite and then it's like, Oh, and there's gray. And he's like the most generic looking character I've ever seen in my life. It's like, that was just so terrible. I, I just that whole thing seemed like they didn't really think it through or they had like this really great idea and it was going to be about something way bigger than what I think that it ended up being. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on this? Because I think, again, this is another one that's a bit of a touchy subject because the 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 person that plays a deer is like a non-binary person. They went out of their way to to, you know, to, to cast somebody who, um, is non-binary. And I think that they're supposed to be maybe non-binary on the show as well. Like Adira is. Um, and, and yep. so yep. I think is like the gray thing supposed to be tied to that, or are we supposed to like understand something about being non-binary because the gray character exists or is they are they like asexual? Like I have I don't know what I'm supposed to think, Matt. I don't know what they're trying to get at here. Like I think they're trying to get at something deep, and I'm trying to be open and understanding and and trying to kind of like accept this. But I just don't think they're doing a good job of it at all. Like I don't feel like I know anything more about being non-binary now than I did before I watched the show. And I feel like it was a great opportunity to maybe tell a story or to to give us something that would be, you know, to be interesting. 
I don't know. What are your thoughts on Adira and Gray? And am I just completely looking too deep into this? Well, I thought Adira as a character was kind of interesting uh, just because she's supposed to be this like kind of child genius and does know a lot of things. Um, I, you know, I thought it was kind of an interesting character with some potential for, you know, growth in the future, assuming she sticks around. I don't know if she will or not. Um, but yeah, the whole gray thing was kind of odd and it wasn't explained very well the why she kept seeing uh seeing him and no one else could and you know the whole point i thought of that like going into the trill pool uh whatever i forget there's a name for it i forget the name of it i thought that was supposed to fix all this stuff so that she wasn't right yeah be seen. yeah and and it just uh, i don't know it didn't work for some reason and they didn't really explain why and they didn't really explain why she kept seeing him. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know if you're misinterpreting because I don't know if there's really, I don't know if there's really anything there to see other than she was, you know, hallucinating over her dead boyfriend. Okay. Well, I, I so I Googled it just because I, I don't want to offend anybody or, or do anything wrong. So the writers worked with uh, not only the, the two actors, uh, but also with Glad, uh, because none of the character or none of the writers were gay, transgendered, or non-binary, um, and they introduced Adira purposely using she and her as the pronouns. Um, but then are corrected in the story, which I do remember that was a particular episode. the uh, yep. The story arc for Adira is supposed to reflect uh, the experience that Barrio had coming out to their family as non-binary. Um, ahead of the ca- announcing of the casting of the, of the character, um, I don't. I, I'm. I'm really sorry. I'm sure that they worked really hard. I don't really. I don't really feel like I see that or get it out of this particular story. Like I. I, I maybe feel like I need to go back and watch it again. But it's not like. I watched it and was like, wow, that's like a really deep, interesting story. Cause I'm sure that it is like, and I, I'm sure that that's a, a really difficult thing to do, but I don't know that it comes across in the TV show with Adira, unfortunately. Cause I feel like that is actually a really good story to tell. Yeah. It was potentially a missed opportunity. Um, the only thing now, let, yeah, sorry, oh, go you, you're going to kind of switch over to, to Admiral Vance now. Unless you got something else. Oh, well, I, just before we get into the kind of more of the side characters, I, I just kind of want to say, um, looking through the, the, the main characters of the show, I think that I can pretty safely say that I don't think there was a single good character. And that is pretty uh, condemning, isn't it? Um, like Michael Burnham just being the typical Michael Burnham, all the things that we've already kind of talked about was, was not good. Her arc was, she learned nothing. She just did everything her own way and was rewarded for it. Um, I felt like Saru started off good, but then basically got undercut and was, 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 was not a very good arc or very satisfying. We don't really get a conclusion for what he's going to do or go. Uh, I feel like Stamets and Reno, like we just talked about, like they're so begrudging and so uninteresting. Uh, Tilly finally got her chance to lead and just completely screwed it up. I felt like the Booker Kara was at least interesting, but then just ended up kind of like hanging around in the background. Culber maybe is the one that I would say was like was good, but I mean, even still, I, I don't know if it was great. And I would say that Michelle Yeoh was just basically like killing time before that one good episode uh, where she got to leave. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty bad. The fact that I don't really feel like any character had like a meaningful important arc is kind of bad um i think that that is 
something that they really need to think about next season um, because that just shouldn't happen. Um, transitioning, I felt like Admiral Vance was actually quite good. Uh, now that's a new character, um, but I thought that was a character that was acted well as well was pretty interesting. What were your thoughts on Admiral Vance? I don't exactly. I think Admiral's not correct. I think he's the chief officer or something, but I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure he was like the head of head admirals. He is the know. Starfleet. We'll he is the Starfleet commander in chief, Charles Vance. Hmm. Yeah, I thought he was good as well. Um, did you get this sort of like nagging feeling that like maybe sometime in his past he just had done something that was like just really bad that he was kind of not being forthcoming about? Because I just got this weird vibe that like there's something about this guy that. Yeah, well, he was very curt, right? And so it's hard to know whether they were trying to make a, you know, in the future, maybe there's just no time for pleasantries and small talk. And so this guy is just very in your face, very to the point. Um, when he was good, he was really good. He was like excellent. And there was always that little bit like he wasn't telling you the whole story or he was kind of, there's a mystery to him. Uh, the only thing that I would say that I don't like is that he fell victim to the Burnhamisms right at the end when Burnham's like, trust me, let her, let them go. And he's like, nah, okay, fine. Or like when they went to, um, Navarre, I was like, oh, okay, well that's fine then. And I just feel like they should have just kept him strong and they maybe should have just let Burnham get punished for breaking the rules or breaking the protocols because by making him concede so many times, it weakens him. And that's, that's probably why he's good, not excellent. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. You know what? The, and making Burnham captain at the end full yeah, exactly. again, that makes sort of, sort of undermines Vance because he makes up this silly, well, I guess he doesn't make it up, but he tells this kind of silly story about how his daughter, um, you know, did things her own way right. and sort of use that as a justification to make Burnham the captain, even though she sort of does things her own way. And, you know, it, it was kind of unfortunate that, there were moments where he was kind of undermined because I thought he played a really good admiral. I thought he sort of had that air of authority. And like you said, he was sort of very, you know, it's not that he wasn't, didn't want to hear anyone else's input per se, but like once he made his decision, it was, it was done. And um, so I, yeah, I thought Admiral Vance was, was really good. Yeah, and I mean, just to kind of tack onto that, I feel like Kovic was really good as well. I don't think he's in as many episodes as I think he's in, but I mean, casting David Cronenberg was just an absolute money decision. They dressed him really well, like a lot of his ties and stuff were made out of plastic, which I thought was really cool. Um, he had that air of mystery and that air of unknown. I pray that he's not like some Section 31 time-traveling secret agent. That would kind of be lame. But uh, what we do get of him here is really good. So uh, A plus for Kovic. Yeah, I think he's only in three episodes. Yeah, um, but less is more. That's the thing, right? Well, especially with a character like that who is supposed to have this sort of mysterious, uh, you know, aura about him. Um, in that instance, I would definitely say, yeah, the less you see of him and the less you learn about him, the more. You're going to want to learn going forward. And I think the fact that he did sort of turn up in that last episode sort of leads me to believe that he is going to be part of the series going Definitely. forward, uh, you know, maybe just here and there. And uh, I'm all for that. I, I thought he was pretty cool. And it's like, 
you know, a, a rare instance. Well, I don't know if I would say a rare instance, but you know, just spot on casting uh, for for Kovic. No, definitely, hundred percent. I I'm I'm right with you. Uh, quickly, I mean, Giorgio was in the a lot of episodes in this season. Um, the one thing that I kind of wanted to throw at you is like, do you believe that she really did change as drastically as we're led to believe in terra firma? When she didn't seem to change at all in the way she like treated people, especially early on in the season, do you do you really buy that? Like, when the guardian was like, "Oh yes, you have you have changed. Yeah. You're a better person, and you are. We can now send you back into the wild." I, I didn't really feel like she changed at all. No, I think this was just kind of the writers recognizing how annoying it is to be kind of like lampooned with that whole mirror character. That really, it's intended to be like a one-off kind of funny thing but to actually have a character that's a mirror universe like on the show is really difficult right because like the whole mindset of how those characters are just doesn't really fit with the way that we are used to and it's just it's just too hard like even i was trying to think like how could you really make that character work and it's just impossible because it's just they're literally the opposite of everything else and all the stuff that you know we're so used to right so I just think that they wrote themselves into a corner and they came up with a pretty decent way of getting her out. And so I think that, um, I think that it's, I'm, I'm willing to take it because honestly, I think that the further away from discovery that Georgiou can get and Michelle Yeoh for that matter, the better. I think that that's probably the, the best chance at getting a decent, a decent showing out of this section 31 show. These writers writing themselves into a corner and say it as a <laughs> Yeah, really. But I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I guess they do need to get her out of there and onto the, the Section 31 show, and they need to come up with something that, you know, sort of makes the jump to the 32nd century sort of to nullify that. And to, I mean, I thought the episode was good, but I really didn't think she changed that much. No, I mean, I not really. I don't think really. she's suddenly going to get thrown back into the, you know, into the into wherever it is the guardian sends her and she's all of a sudden going to have a conscience and she's going to be, she's not going to be, you know, maniacal and, and evil and, and all that. I, I didn't really see that great of a change until that episode. Right. I, I feel so like, I don't, I don't really buy it. Do you think it's a big change from season one though? Maybe. Uh, I, I mean, I guess you almost have to go back and watch some of that again, I guess. Yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> Please don't make me. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I I kind of agree. I think that in order to make the Section 31 show work, they're really going to have to shake that character up because it, she was starting to get stale for me anyway. Yeah, it's kind of a shtick that doesn't really, it doesn't really last. It doesn't really play well when you drag it out for very long. No, exactly. Uh, we already kind of... Uh, ragged on Osira a bit. Do you do you have anything more to pile on to that? Uh... Um, you know what? Not really. But <laughs> you know, this is what I'm going to say, and this may be um, maybe really obvious, but but maybe not. Um, you don't need a big supervillain uh, for season four. I don't need you know. Syra, or uh, I don't need Landry, or not Landry. Um, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? 
from the second. Leland. Leland. I don't need Leland. I don't need some big, super evil, super duper bad guy. Just give us, you know, like just give us a good character. Oh my goodness. Um, even if it's like a species, you know, like bring in a Borg or a species 8572 or God forbid, just come up with something new. Um, because these main bad guy, villain guys that just kind of like snarkily look into the camera and have sassy little zingers doesn't work for me. I don't think it's good. And I, I, I really could go without, you know, a, a main villain for the next season. Yeah. I, I, like I said previously, I didn't find her that imposing. I didn't find her that threatening. I didn't, you know, I thought she was just sort of this like snarky, you know, middle-aged woman that had a bad attitude yeah not um not not great uh not a great character in general no now the last thing i want to ask you do you think saru's done like do you think he's gone i don't think so just because i think that they love doug jones and i think that they think that it's such a great character and you know they've created the next data or the next mr spock with this really kind of out there character so i think that he'll be back but I, I i have a hard time circling the square of how they're going to bring him in not being the captain without just making him look like a total loser because that's essentially how it's going to end up being especially since burnham even mentions in the end of the episode like oh maybe we should talk to saru and vance like yeah forget saru like you're the captain now. So to bring him back to be the second officer or or something on the ship, oof, I feel like that would be character assassination. Now, I'm not saying this is true, but do you think it's possible that Doug Jones was just, like, fed up with what they were doing and said, you know what, just write me out of here? I mean, do you think it's possible? Uh, I, everything that I've ever seen makes me feel like he's really big into star trek discovery and he loves playing the character um but that being said i know that he is a lot busier maybe than some of the others because he does a, a lot of like weird character work uh maybe uh it, it could be that case or it just it's, yeah it's hard to say i mean i think that the thing with saru is they had such an interesting idea but they've almost kind of like run that well dry i don't know what more you do with him with, without you know like, I don't know. You can't really keep bouncing back and forth like they have been with him and make it us still care about it. Well, I personally, I think he is going to be not a regular cast member okay. going forward. Interesting I, I, take. The way that the, 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 way that the season yeah, ended with him it just was abruptly deciding, oh, I'm going to just, you know, give up being captain and I'm just going to go to Kaminar to help uh, Sue Call fit in like it just seemed so abrupt yeah. and so sudden that maybe like okay maybe they did decide or maybe someone did decide that you know what we we we're just going to put him to the side for for now and and maybe just bring him back here and there or just not bring him yeah, back at all. Yeah. They they very well could, right? Or he could become like a liaison for Kaminar and they could go visit him sometimes, I guess. I wouldn't be opposed to that to be honest. That could be good. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see with uh, season four. All right, Matt, let uh, let us hit some production stuff. Um, the production's here in our hometown, right? Our backyard right here at Pinewood, Toronto. So it's always kind of interesting to, to look at the behind the scenes stuff. I actually have a really good friend who um, he's like a set designer and uh, he actually works on Star Trek Discovery. So um, 
it's pretty cool and uh i've always wanted to go and get a job there maybe working as an extra but it's uh i think it's kind of tougher now with all this covid lockdown stuff uh which is interesting no, did he design did he design the inside the cavernous inside of the ship uh that's or she? no so that's more of uh like i think they use computer graphics for that um he's like literally a set designer so he like um like decorates the desks and the computer panels and stuff i think for this one he was telling me that he did most of the like hallway stuff so like if you see computer right, panels cool. and stuff in the hallways he that's the most of the stuff that he had done um but yeah so because we had the covid lockdown here in ontario i guess they just got the filming in just under the wire so um, they had finished it maybe like a week or two before they had the big lockdown here in Ontario. And then part of the reason why it got delayed was because uh, post-production was a lot more difficult um, kind of having stuff between Toronto and the U.S. and the borders closed. And I guess it was kind of a mess. I mean, we should probably just be happy that we got the season when we did. Because, I mean, if it had been kind of a little bit later or if they had to do too much reshooting, then I feel like maybe we wouldn't have gotten this till the spring. Um, what were your thoughts on, on all that kind of stuff, Matt? Well, yeah, like you mentioned, I think they finished like end of February. So it was like two weeks uh, that they that they made the, the they made it like two weeks before lockdown with the, the filming. Um, and yeah, like uh yeah, I imagine post-production would be kind of tricky to do when you have, I mean, who knows how many, like 15, 20 people working on visual effects and editing and you're doing it all remotely, um, you know, over Zoom calls or whatever, whatever, you know, video conferencing they use. Like, I, I mean, I know that I've been working remotely since March and it's been you know kind of tricky in some ways i mean if your your home internet is wonky or you have an outage right. or something you can't you know it, it, it has kind of introduced a bit of a bit of chaos even to you know people that aren't working in the film industry so i, I can imagine it would have been pretty uh pretty tricky and the one thing that i i also read that kind of held everything up uh was the recording of the score um because uh, you know Imagine trying to get 50 different, right. uh, you know, musicians to be recording in their home studios right. and f sorting through all of that. I, I can only imagine as an amateur musician just how uh, how much fun that would have been for the uh, the conductor and the composer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought the music was decent, though. So that's that's at least it didn't it didn't affect it majorly because I didn't think that it was like a, a notch down or anything. So they did a good job with it. Um, I do think that. Uh, I mean, in past seasons, we've had a lot more uh, location shooting in and around the city. Um, they We talked about the first two episodes they filmed it in Iceland, which is so obvious, right? Iceland, if you've ever been there, has a very distinct landscape. Um, and so they filmed the first two episodes there. But then there wasn't really a lot of Toronto-y local stuff. Um, some people think that maybe that scene where Tilly goes and hugs the tree might be High Park. Um, which uh, is right where Matt lives, actually. Matt is a high park, highfalutin person, so uh, you should jog <laughs> over there one day and see if you can find the tree that um, Tilly hugged, because I have a 
Oh, it's not a real tree. Well, and that's the other thing, right? Is that it's supposed to be San Francisco, but I can almost guarantee that they didn't fly all those guys down to San Francisco for uh, no. one shot of them sitting in the park. So uh, if Matt can find the spot where they uh, where they did that particular shot, I will get a picture of him there and I'll upload it to Instagram uh, for all to see. But it might be hard because it seemed like it was really, like really cutty and pasty. Well. Well, being a frequent visitor to the park, as you say, um, I do think I know where it might have been. Okay. So what I need to do is I probably will have to wait till the spring because things look different in the winter down there because the trees are all bare. Yeah, snowy here. Um, but I think what I'll do is, you know, I'll get the, the photo. I'll get like a still from the show and see if I can figure out where exactly they were and all. Definitely. I'll get a nice uh, a nice portrait of myself in the same spot for all our all our uh, i'll go on an away mission as we call it nice on our blog yeah. yes and then the only other one was kind of like i guess the holographic sakal environment was filmed at kingston pen which i guess somebody told me that a large portion of kingston penitentiary has been kind of like shut down so i'm not surprised that maybe they used that for filming i mean it's just basically a bunch of concrete and pillars and stuff so um i don't think i really well, on the staircases too the, right it's a really old building and i think that was more what they were look like looking to use was the because you'll, you'll know you know in the holographic environment there was all those like stairways and stuff right. and they all look really old and cool and i think that's that's what they were sort of keen on using it the, the the kingston penitentiary yeah yes uh, yeah, I mean, I don't feel like going out to Kingston Pen anytime soon, so I guess somebody else should maybe send a picture of themselves uh, in those concrete pillars with Sukal. You don't, you don't, you don't plan on being sent there. Yeah, either? you know, the other thing is, is that <laughs> I'm really concerned that if I was there and somebody like, you know, if a rat went by my foot and I got spooked, I might accidentally destroy all the fossil fuels that exist on the planet. And, uh, yeah, they'll call it the Andrew and they'll have to send Michael Burnham back to solve how it happened. Uh, no. Um, yeah. how did you feel like the special effects held up for like, it's really hard to go that far in the future, film it in this future and, you know, kind of make it seem futuristic. Say that five times fast. Um, what were your thoughts? Did you feel like you were in the 32nd century or did you feel like they had done some window dressings and, uh, you know, <laughs> put a fresh coat of paint on and that was all you got? It, it was significantly more futuristic than, say, you know, Voyager slash Deep Space Nine. Yes. Um, I thought the ships looked pretty, like I thought everything looked pretty good. Um, and I thought they used the special effects pretty effectively to make it seem super futuristic. Um, the battles I, I, I mentioned earlier on that, um, they, they toned the battles down a little bit, which was nice. They didn't have like a hundred tiny little drones flying around causing havoc. And the other thing that sort of stuck out to me was, was the interiors. This isn't really sort of special effects. This is more just like set design, but I, I thought that, um, the Federation headquarters and that little place where Sahil lived, um, his little like bachelor pad i guess um was pretty neat um i liked how they sort of had those chairs that had no legs they just sort of like hovered there that was pretty cool and i thought that the sort of upgrades to the, the sets of the discovery once it sort of got up updated or, or refitted was, was was pretty decent okay well i'll tell my buddy that because that's literally the the job that he does so um that's uh, high <laughs> praise uh i kind of feel like the uh writers of this show 
got really frustrated and they phoned up the most leading person in holographic technology and they said how long realistically will it take uh, before we can believably have holographic communications and the person on the other end of the line of the phone was like I don't know like a thousand years and they were like okay we're gonna go a thousand years in the future because they so <laughs> desperately wanted to have those holographic uh, calls like we saw in the first season and everybody hated or like we saw in Deep Space Nine and everybody hated. So they were like, you know what? Screw it. We're going to go so far in the future that nobody can argue that we are going to have like super fast beaming and we're going to all have like these heads up HUD displays like video game style and we're going to finally be able to do all the stuff that they wanted to do. And they did all that <laughs> stuff and it didn't really impress me that much. I mean, I think that I'm with you. My favorite stuff is probably the interiors of the Federation. Um, I felt like the discovery sets, once they kind of upped them a little bit, was nice. Although, like when they went to that room where Osira and Michael Burnham fought, I was like, wait, where is this again? Like where they had all the mm. information stored. I was like, oh, they've never been in this room before. Um, I am also a little bit worried, Matt, because um, have you seen the show The Mandalorian? I have. Okay, I know that. You, I have seen. Yeah, it, yes. you like the Mandalorian, yeah. I thought it was uh, the best piece of Star Wars uh, motion picture that we've had in fifteen years. Right. Now you know that they film it on basically like a super green screen. Yeah, isn't it called like a VR? Yes, like a VR green screen. VR screen. And that's yeah, yeah. That's yeah. kind of how they got the like season one and two came out like so close together and stuff. I heard a rumor that the Star Trek Discovery guys might be trying to get one of those big super VR sets. Um, as far as I know, they already have. Okay, so yeah, that's so you've heard the same thing as I have. Now, yep. the only yep. thing I would say is I don't know that I love that for Star Trek Discovery just because I kind of feel like... Um, like the Mandalorian takes place a lot of times like outside he's walking around he's in the desert he's on this planet he's on that planet I think that I don't know for Star Trek I kind of feel like the cheap sets and the, the the interiors and everything like that is kind of what makes it special what are your thoughts well I could see if, if they plan on doing a lot of exteriors then it would be good uh, yes if they plan on going to a lot of visiting a lot of planets um, I feel like that's where it would come in handy. Okay. Now you got to remember that they would probably use it for other shows as well, right? Which I think is why they're able to make that investment because it's a pretty expensive piece of equipment. Yeah, it seems it. Um, so you know, if they're bringing, if they're going to use it in Toronto, I would assume that if you know, if Strange New Worlds does go forward as we expected to, I would imagine they use would it use as it well. for Strange okay. New Worlds. Good point. So. Uh, I mean, I think maybe if anything, it's probably a good sign that maybe we're going to see them spending more time on different planets, you know, alien, okay. alien planets. So that, that's sort of how I took that uh, that news. OK. Um, yes. All right. You know what? I can admit when I maybe am off the off the rails and I think those are all excellent points. And you're right. If they use it in such a way that kind of like up the the planets and stuff rather than having to go to Iceland and stuff, then I could be on, on board for it. So. Um, if they're going to use it to show more of those cavernous interiors, then they might as well just throw it in the dumpster now. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> all right. Now, one of the other things that drives everybody crazy is canon. And uh, Matt, as oh my favorite yeah, word, as a seasoned canologist, <laughs> did you feel like the 
uh, writers were not shackled to the existing canon by putting it so far in the future? Or did you feel like they had to go out of their way to like find Easter eggs uh, like the USS Nog and stuff in order to be able to make everybody remember that this is supposed to be Star Trek? Well, without having existing... I don't like the use canon. I don't like that word, but existing Lore. material. Okay. Lore is another word I like to use. Um, I, I feel like it gave them some freedom, and I don't know if they necessarily use that freedom the, to the best of their ability, but it certainly is nice to be able to watch this show and not be having those like nagging little mm -hmm. irritations of like, oh, I don't think that's the way it's been in previous shows, or, you know, this character that you know you're bringing in spock and he's like insane and that that's nothing we've ever seen or heard of before it just all those little nagging little irritations were gone which was kind of nice um i mean it, it the show still was had its flaws but at least you're not sitting there thinking like just sort of like slowly fuming about all these little things that that they messed up and what about the easter eggs that we did get they were very subtle. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Too subtle? Like, did you the, did you catch a lot of them or not really? No. I mean, the the only one that I would say was pretty overt was the Voyager. Right. Uh, the Voyager J. Like, that was, like, clearly seen on the screen. But, like, the Nog thing, I never would have caught that. Right. I'm not someone who's, you know, freeze-framing every five seconds to look to see, oh, what's the name of that ship? Right. And did you... I never would have known and that. And did you catch uh, the Zora character from i forget which episode it was so remember that episode the short track calypso yeah so apparently yep. that voice was used in one of the uh one of the episodes of discovery it was actually the episode uh, forget me not yes i do remember briefly hearing that voice and then also the those like little drone things in the finale yeah. they were also using that voice yeah okay interesting at least maybe they're thinking about potentially keeping that plot line going through so um okay uh and then what about like uh, the really big one which was the guardian of forever did you find uh that to be good did you think that that was kind of a bit campy do you think that that should be kind of left in the legendary tos episode or, or what are you feeling about that i thought it looked incredible okay the way that they redid it mm -hmm. um it's okay right um i i don't it's kind of odd that they would find it in this like distant planet in the gamma quadrant, but I, I, I didn't really, it was something that I was willing to, to accept just because of the way that they use it in the episode. Okay. I like the, I liked it because I think the thing too is that it's so, um, you know, mysterious and mythical like i i didn't love that it was like in the gamma quadrant for some reason like to me i felt like that was like because wouldn't like it wouldn't have been there if kirk had found it kind of thing but whatever i could kind of like just imagine that it maybe bounces around and moves or whatever but um okay that's fine um but yeah i, I thought that it was good and and that's kind of like the easter eggy kind of thing that you know, I don't really love to fanboy over, but it was it was pretty cool. I think it was maybe a little predictable that that's what it was going to be, but uh, it was good. And I mean, I didn't really say what I thought, but I, I thought that the the Easter eggs and the canon stuff was a lot more uh, mellowed down this this year. Like, I feel like 
in season one and two, you could literally spend the entire episode just being like, this is from this and that is from that, uh, which isn't necessarily that enjoyable. So, um, yeah, I think it was it was okay that stuff. Uh, and what about the new uniforms, Matt? Yay or nay? I would definitely say yay. I actually, I like that they have sort of a militaristic feel to them. Like they sort of have those like kind of squared shoulders. Yes. Um, and I think it makes sense because in the future, I would imagine that Starfleet became much more militaristic just because of the way the the galaxy was. Yes. So, and I like them. I think they're the the gray is a nice color, and I like having the sort of stripe vertically the vertical stripe with the division color it's actually the vision colors not freaking gold silver and bronze which were impossible to tell exactly yeah no i i really like the new uniform i actually and i'm glad that they're going to be using them going forward like you know the crew the discovery is switched over yeah um, by the end so yeah Uh, good good yeah and i actually found when they when like burnham walks onto the bridge I'm like, oh, yeah, like, you know, Adir is actually a, uh, you know, science officer and Stamets is a science officer. And even like Tilly was a science officer, which I thought was weird because she was in the command praying program. But I thought that was a really cool way to do it. And I also did like that they added the additional, um, the medical team have the white stripe, which is kind of like, uh, it almost reminded me of, remember Kirk's uniform from um, the original Star Trek? Like Star Trek, the motion Which picture. Which one? Star- oh, the, oh, the motion picture. Remember yeah, yeah. Kirk had like the white. So it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. And then I liked how if you looked closely, she they actually had the shoulder kind of buckles similar to like the Wrath of Khan style outfit. So, um, yeah, yeah, they really did a good job with this one. I hated, hate, hate, hated the blue outfits from Discovery. And I wasn't big on the Pike era colored ones. These ones are perfect. This is exactly the kind of thing I was looking for. Yeah, they're really good. They're really nice. Yeah, a definite step up from the blue. Oh god, the blue, <laughs> the blue <is> uniforms. <laughs> All right, and uh, did you notice that they reused some actors as they do in Star Trek, which we've you know seen before? But uh, they reused uh, Kenneth Mitchell, Hannah Spear, and Robert uh, Verlack. Did you notice that, or is that more just something you noticed at the end? It was more something I read about. Um, <laughs> I... I mean, Kenneth Mitchell was tough to spot because we're used to seeing him dressed as, like, what, three different Klingons uh, from the first couple seasons. So that one was a bit tough to spot. And um, Hannah Spear was the was uh, Kelpian twice. So that was that one was a little bit tricky to spot because, again, there's a lot of makeup there. And it was the same with Robert Verlack. So, um, yeah, kind of tough to spot unless I think, you know, I think unless you know what you're looking for no definitely i didn't notice it i mean other than maybe just in passing um i think that it's like they're all canadian those guys too like if you look they're obviously actors from toronto that they hired in which i appreciate so um uh it's funny how like you you notice the same actors when you watch shows that are filmed in the same spot i mean we've talked about this because you know a lot of shows were filmed in la in the 90s and so you see people from star trek turning up on other shows as well and um late, lately i've been watching a two two shows concurrently that are being that were filmed in toronto and i've already noticed a number of actors that are in, in both and they're very different shows right <laughs> one is a sitcom and one is a drama pretty intense uh science fiction uh show okay cool <laughs> uh now did you think that the end quote 
from Gene Roddenberry was an interesting one, a amazing kind of like, oh my goodness, we're going to get like, you know, some TOS level stuff next season. Or do you think this is just like a slap in the face to the thing that he kind of created? Because it Discovery, I would say, is not really in the same vein as what he was kind of thinking and hoping. Well, what I would say is that it's an appropriate quote. I mean, it's certainly not one of Roddenberry's best known quotes but i do feel like i had heard that before when i saw it pop up on the screen and i mean at you know in the current times with you know all the pandemic stuff going on and and the difficulty it is in connect keeping connected with people i thought it was an appropriate you know quote to put up on the screen at the end and i i thought it was that's not something you really see uh in star trek so i thought it was interesting that they that they chose to do that do you think that season four is going to be a original series, you know, episode of the week going around to different spots and, and, and solving mysteries and uh, we're going to get kind of what everybody has been wanting and for hoping for for so long? I think we'll get much the same. Okay. And you think that... I, I don't I don't think things are going to really change much. I think Strange New Worlds is going to be the Planet of the Week show okay. That that is sort of more aimed at fans from our generation um but i i don't think discovery is going to be season four is going to be all that much different and how many spinning cameras do you think we're going to get in season four a <laughs> hundred it's, it's interesting i was actually listening to the delta flyers podcast t- earlier today and they were reviewing an episode where they had one of those camera things where it's like it spins around the room mm-hmm. it does like a 360 and Robert Duncan McNeil was talking about how difficult it is to do that, or I guess how difficult it was to do it back then. Right. And I don't know if it's the technology has changed in such a way that it's way easier to do those kinds of shots. But my goodness, they just love doing it on Discovery. In the last episode, never especially, ends. was really bad. It'd be like a guy working on like a computer and be like, whoa, as it like spins in. It almost... It was actually... I found it actually distracting in the last yeah, episode. Yeah, it was I bad. really did. It, it, because every time they would go from the action on the Discovery to the action in the holographic simulation, it would always start upside down and then slowly flip. And I just found it distracting. I, I really did. Like it, Sometimes they throw it in there once or twice and it's just like, okay, okay. Or they might do it right at the very beginning of the show. But it kept happening right in the middle and it was really, it really was distracting, I found, in the finale especially. Yeah, I just uh, by the time I got to the finale, I was just so desperate to be done with it that I was just it's almost like they duct tape the camera onto like a lazy Susan and it's just spinning around all the time. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how successful this season was, but I mean, we're getting another one. I know that uh, my buddy is back to work and he's um he's working right now on season four down in toronto so they're they're currently filming um i mean there seems like every week they're doing more and more lockdowns but um i'm i'm guessing that we're probably going to see season four maybe by like november december of this year assuming that uh we don't have all the hiccups and problems that we we saw last year are you looking forward to to season four uh are you gonna you know maybe go down to pinewood and get your get yourself in the background as an extra like like how are you feeling for season four well i actually read today that they're filming four and five back to back oh they're doing the old matrix special or not matrix yeah uh, was it lord of the rings or harry potter one of those movies did that i think well lord of the rings and and i think the last 
two Matrix movies were right. also filmed concurrently. Okay. Yeah, that's. I, I don't know if that's a hundred percent true, but I did read earlier today that yeah, they're they're going to be doing four and five sort of back to back, which is okay, interesting well. because it makes me wonder like when are we actually going to get it? Yeah, I don't know. You know? It's apparently. But I don't so, know if it'll. So I, I'm just reading here right now that the production on season four is set to end in June. So that means we should get it this year. Well, uh, or early potentially next year. that's going to, that might be, it might be early next year. Well, One thing I will say though, is when, when the floodgates open, like there's going to be a ton of Star Trek coming our way. Cause I think now there's at least three shows that are either that are like filming or in the case of lower decks, I think they're doing the voice recordings right now. Right. So I feel like, once this next batch is kind of done, it's going to be a pretty long stretch where we're going to be getting a uh, new Star Trek on a weekly basis for a pretty extended uh, period yeah, of time. Exactly. We, you and I better just like ditch our families and basically honker down <laughs> and start reviewing stuff. Otherwise, we're never going to get through it all. Um, did you see, actually, I don't think it was the season finale, but I think it was maybe the, the penultimate episode was the 800th episode of Star Trek. Did you see that? I did notice that. I, I think it depends on how you count right. them. I think it include if you include the movies and the short treks as like separate episodes, installments or episodes. Then it goes. Then yeah, I think the last second last one. Yeah, you're right. It was. I think if you count it that way, I think it was. You're right. It was the 800th episode, which is yeah, we got a, pretty incredible and pretty hard to imagine. It really is. Well, you and I really got to start uh, really start reviewing these on the we double. Pick a. up the pace. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be doing it until we drop dead. All right, Matt, I think it is officially time to put a bow on this one. Uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 3. This is the end of a huge run. Star Trek Picard Season 1, Lower Decks Season 1, Star Trek Discovery uh, Season 3. Uh, did they save the cherry for the top of the, uh, the cake here with Discovery? Um, or did this just end up putting a big old... Um, you know black stain on on your beautiful cake um it's been a lot of star trek and now i feel like we're going to go into a long kind of period here where we're not going to have any uh for at least the foreseeable future so um i mean this is uh yeah this i mean it comes with a little bit of sadness so why don't you just kind of give me your final thoughts in general on on star trek discovery season three and how it fits and everything and then give me a rating out of five dot seven robots well, it started off decent. Um, I did kind of have some high hopes after the first maybe four or five episodes that this might be significantly better than the previous two seasons that we had. And uh, the ending just ruined the whole thing for me. Like, I really, like, it was, it was kind of tough to get through the last couple episodes because the third last one was just, oh, it just, it just derailed everything for me. And... You know, we got much of the same of this whole Michael Burnham saves the day, Michael Burnham this and that, and we didn't really see much of anyone else. And, uh, I mean, I feel like it is a slight improvement. Um, I think pushing the series to the 32nd century and, and sort of freeing themselves of, um, you know, the existing material was probably a good choice, and I think it worked. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like... It is a marginal improvement, but they still just, the, the, the ending just kind of ruined the whole thing for me. So I don't know if I'm quite ready to go to the to two 
out of five for this season. I, I think I am going to gr sort of grudgingly give it one out of five dot seven robots because it was marginally better than the previous seasons, but I just don't think it was... Uh, the ending was good enough for me to, to even give it two out of five. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at. One out of five ro dot seven robots. Yeah, I... This was horrible. This was absolutely horrible and i was somebody who was on the record as saying that star trek discovery was limited only by the fact that it was shoehorned and lampooned in the time period in which they said it uh it didn't work and they had to bring in spock and then there was all the canologist people and i was like as soon as you go into the future Everybody will be so enthralled and so interested in what's been happening and, and how everything has changed uh, that, you know, all those things will kind of go by the wayside. And basically, Discovery will be very similar to Voyager and uh, Deep Space Nine and Next Generation, where the first couple of seasons just were finding their, their ground. And the season three was really when it was going to uh, turn it on. And then we got this. This was just awful. And I think that it hurts it even more so because Picard was okay. Lower Decks was amazing. And then this was just, you know, somebody peed in the batter. Like, this is just awful. Uh, I thought that every character was terrible. I thought that every episode was terrible, save that terra firma one being okay. Um, I thought that... Um, the, the mystery behind the, the burn and the burn even itself was just such a dumb idea. Um, and then they just gave me that glimmer of hope. They just gave me that little sliver where it's like, oh, you know what? Next time we're going to have real uniforms, not annoying gold and silver ones that you can't tell the difference. Uh, you know, we're going to have like the captain that we always wanted to have. And we're going to be going around to different planets and solving things. And so there's just like that, oh, I got to watch it when it comes back out. So um, for me, there's just enough. Vance was good. Uh, David Cronenberg was good. Terra Firma really saved this season. I'm going to give it one out of five dot sevens. But if you twist my arm hard enough, I will very happily give this zero because I did not enjoy watching any of it and that is really really sad to me because i have to now go probably the better part of a year um without any new star trek and so i guess i better just dial up voyager and deep space nine and next generation enterprise and really dig back into those because you don't really appreciate those series as much until you get a season like this that's just awful so uh, yeah, I guess it's time to take our episodes here, all 13 of them. Uh, we're going to kind of fold them up nice and tightly and drop them into the Emerald Chain Regulator Helmet of Episodes. And Matt, please, 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 please don't pick any of these out for me in the near future because I think I need a little break from uh, Star Trek Discovery. How do you feel about that? What do you think was underneath those helmets? <laughs> it's kind of like the... Um, Remember the Breen in Deep Space Nine? What do you think's exactly, under those helmets? Yeah. Uh, maybe they are Breen. That would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? They kind of have like that updated. That would be if they. Could you imagine if they like just if they had dropped that in there? Be pretty cool, man. If they were Breen. Yeah, that might not have been such a bad thing to do. I don't know. I, I wonder if they're like just say, sort of setting that up as like a future uh, mystery to be solved. Like who are the the regulator and what are what are under those helmets? I know that this sounds like really bad but i kind of feel like 
they should just reboot again. <laughs> you know, like I think that for season four, go to the forty second century. Well, not even maybe not that, <laughs> but just honestly, like just never mention that Osira person again. Never mention Spock or Pike or any of those guys. Like literally, just start fresh. You've gotten rid of all the, you've cut away all the dead weight. Now it's time to like, let's get some decent episodes. Let's get some stuff that people are interested in. Let's tell some good stories um, with some good action and some some great directing and stuff. Um, that is what I want so, so badly. And I feel like we're going to have to wait till almost 2022 to get it. Well, here's hoping. Fingers are crossed that uh, we get some better Star Trek goodness and you know what if you're not a big fan of star trek discovery that's okay because matt and i are here every other week talking about old vintage trek such as star trek the next generation voyager deep space nine enterprise we look at randomly selected star trek episodes every (laughs) two weeks and we will put ourselves to the ultimate challenge to try to remember what happens in each of the 800 episodes that exist so make sure that you tune in for those ones and um i guess for whatever other little things we got on the go. I feel like we've been doing so many of these like special bonus episodes of late that it seems weird that we're not going to have one for a while. So um, I guess we'll have to just wait and see. That's true. Yeah, we'll just have to keep uh, grinding away at the uh, the other 750 episodes that we haven't looked at yet. All right, bye-bye, everybody. So long, folks. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. It's a right way, but I didn't understand why she did it because that's never stopped her before. (laughs) Just like comes in like a bullet in a china shop. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Stop your war. I'm here. I have a problem. I need help. Forget your problems. <laughs> it's all about me. Thanks. My name's Captain Catherine Jane. USS <laughs> USS Voyager. Problem solver. And problem creator. <laughs> Loading Holosuite preview program for the Vedic Assembly. A Deep Space Nine podcast. Okay, now I have a theory about this. Mm-hmm. In, just, this episode is called Investigations. Yes. Yes, just just bear no, with me. Indiscretions. Uh, Sorry, that was Indiscretions, a yes. Yeah. Here's why I think he didn't kill Zial. It had nothing to do with him actually loving her. I don't think he is capable mm. of love. It has everything to do with him wanting to get in Kira's pants. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. We've talked previously about gratuitous... Yeah. You know, just showing off Jolene Bledock's bits and pieces, really, for no reason. That is one of them, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm a male, so that stuff is, at least at this time, was mostly targeted at me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say that she has not got an incredible physique, because she, she does. Obviously, she does. But yeah. whenever I see those moments now, I just think, God, oh, so unnecessary. And I feel bad for Jolene. You know, like, did she get a choice? Did she mind? If she didn't mind, then I guess who cares? But that was really revealing, that shot through the sheet. It just seemed unnecessary. You didn't need that. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.